dark days for the Goliverse. A technological terror, Star Wars reference, erased a decade's worth of geekdom. Meanwhile, fans lash out at one another as they find themselves divided by differing opinions. You wrote a thesis with very little actual substance. Your claims that the story wasn't built by films themselves is insane. Your claim that these characters lack motivation is bunk. Just because a film presents ideals, what is this generic bandwagon stuff? Then, in the darkness, a voice breaks through the cacophony of trolls, whiners, and Twilight fans. We can geek out together. One upload at a time, the light breaks through, and like a comic book character who dies and returns two issues later, the safe place to geek out returns. This is the Geek Out Loud Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Geek Out Loud, your safe place to geek out on the internet. My name, my name, hi, my name is what? My name is who? My name is Steve Glosson. I'm Steve Glosson. Good to be along with you on this uh, on this episode, and uh, we got a lot. We, we got a lot to talk about. We're just gonna have fun tonight. Uh, on the, tonight, or this morning, or you know, this afternoon, whatever you're listening, we're gonna have everybody have fun tonight. Yeah. Everybody wearing chung tonight, yeah. Um, we're gonna have some fun. Uh, we're gonna do something I've wanted to do for a little while. It's been kind of in the back of my head. Today, I just decided that it is now the time, and so so let's make this thing happen. We're going to um, jump into some, just kind of go over. And I'm not a historian. We'll talk more about it as we get into it. But I want to kind of just examine the the history of the superhero film uh the superhero movie and and talk about where we've come and 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 where we're at now as we as we're moving forward into uh just some amazing things that seem to be going on particularly on the marvel side of things and maybe even end up a little bit of speculation of what's next after avengers infinity war and the ensuing Avengers film, but we'll talk about all that as we get into uh, as we get into it tonight. Uh, just want to say thanks to everyone right out of the gate for uh, helping us reach thirty five hundred eighty dollars in the uh, Goliverse Cure Marathon. We raised thirty five hundred eighty dollars. That was, uh, you know, when you do the math, fourteen twenty away from our goal of five thousand. But considering um, all of the technological difficulties we had and all of the stuff that went down with the websites and the inability to really promote the thing effectively because of all of that, um, I, I feel like it's pretty good. I feel like we overcame some odds. So th- what that means is for next year, it's comeback time. Uh, you know, next year, it, it's going to be all about the coming out swinging and, and hitting things. So just be ready for next year because we're going to really uh, 
really pump this thing up. So, um, so we uh, today I, I said I'm an idiot, and I set the thing up. Wow, someone got in a hundred dollars today, but it says page is no longer accepting donations. Thirty six eighty, so thirteen twenty away. Wow. Okay. Um, I was under the impression this says this page is no longer accepting donations. So I, I was under the impression that I'd set things up wrong and only, um, only, it, and I put it through today, but I thought that meant through today, but I should have put it through tomorrow, that today being the time of recording January 31st. So I want to um, <clears throat> run through just a couple of names and give everyone shout outs who gave because so many of you uh, gave to this and, and I am so appreciative not that it does anything for me, but it's just really one of those things that it just makes, it's a good way to kind of kick the year off officially. You know, we, we're, we're almost through January when we do this. I know because I do it for my birthday, but it's a great birthday present for me and to, you know, to do this. And so just want to say thank you to Michael High Nip, Shane in Grand Rapids, uh, Realtor Angie and Tintalon, um, and uh, Christopher and Aaron Lutz, Jeff Fawcett, Cal in Arizona, Roth in Wyoming, Dave Atterbury, Brett Coley, Patty B, uh, Mark All, uh, Michael Cohen, uh, who, who, Michael, I need you, buddy, and I've just been scared to call you. So, um, so if you want to get in touch, go ahead. You know, you know how to get me. Um, and uh, let's see, we're at Jedi Schwa, Mama Lowe, Lori Mora, Elena, Darth Duff, Spider Shan. Jonathan Maples, Mo Ann Swampy, Kai Charles, Jess Becker, um, I, and I'm going through pages here, so it takes a moment. Matthew Marks, Wendy, uh, <laughs> I don't know who this was, but me at donatingforcure.give.u.cheap.bastards.com. Jeremy Burtz, Lorenzo Yanez, Brian Beatty, Stamball Aviation, Emily Dixon, um, and then finally, on this last page, as it takes a moment to load again, Clark Wilson, Rods Oscar, or Oscar Rods, uh, Scott, Mike, Roth in Wyoming again, who came around to uh, help out the OCD people, Margie Ball, Cool B, and Scott Rifen. So thank you all so much. Thank you so much for donating and giving. There were several of you who did so anonymously and greatly, greatly appreciate that. 3680, 1320 away uh from the from the donations uh from from the goal and uh just want to say thanks to everybody i I really appreciate it a couple of things that uh i've realized in trying to get uh, the rest of the goalverse up and running again one kind of major situation is uh the goalverse wall of fame that is for patreon supporters and uh, in going away and, and having everything lost, that meant I lost everyone's superpower. So here's what I need from you who are paid, who have ever been Patreon supporters. Even if you're not a, anymore for whatever reason, whether you were mad at me for not fulfilling obligations uh, or whether you just could not afford to anymore, once you've donated once into Patreon, you're on the Goliverse Wall of Fame for life. You have given your hard-earned money to help keep this thing going, and that means the world to me. And so the least, the very least I can do is put you up on the Goliverse Wall of Fame and grant you a superpower for life. So if you remember your superpower, if you could just shoot an email to geekoutonline at gmail.com, 
You don't have to give the full description like I did, but like I do on the Goloverse Wall of Fame, I will get those up there <clears throat> again. But I want to uh, to make sure that I've got every... And the reason I'm asking you to email is because uh, the work involved in going all the way back to the beginning to get everyone who's ever done it, because there are some from, you know, from when we started the Patreon a while back um, who who aren't doing anymore. And that's fine. I, please understand that I say that with no animosity or no uh, overt disappointment that I totally understand. I don't understand why anyone would give in the first place to be, to be a hundred percent honest with you. I've proven myself to be um, uh, incapable of fulfilling the obligations that are promised to you, the dear listener. Uh, and, and yet you still continue to give, you still continue to donate to the Patreon and, you saved my life. Like, that's how, un like, I, look, I feel like an ungrateful louse because you literally saved my life. Had it not been for Patreon, there was about six months in there where I don't know that I would have had a roof over my head. And, um, and so I thank you all for that so very much. And, and I mean that seriously. That's not hyperbole. That's not me exaggerating. That is the truth that, that I, I don't know where I would have lived or how I would have lived without Patreon. And, and you have been a blessing to me as listeners. And so, um, so what, for whatever reason you gave, um, you know, even if it was just one month where you did, please, please, please shoot me an email. Let me know if you remember what superpower you were given on the Wall of Fame so I can get that put back up because that's important to me to have that there. And, and I want it to be something... Um, I want it to be something that's there for all time as long as the website's there. And I and I do make this promise that I'm backing up the website now on a regular basis so that we never have this situation occur again. Um, because, dang, what a headache it's been. It still is. Thanks to those of you who have helped me uh, get the Big Honkin' Shows back uh, and make sure I have those. Uh, there are classics. Here's... Here's another request to make based on that. For those of you who have old episodes of the Big Honkin' Show, uh, if you could, if you ha if if you could, if you have them, I don't need them sent to me. I think I've got all of them now. But if you have old episodes of the Big Honkin' Show still in your possession, in other words, you still have the old files, you know, because you never deleted them. If you want to go back and listen to some, uh, and just maybe email me. Uh, just send an email to either bighonkinshow at gmail.com or geekoutonline at gmail.com. If you will send those, if you will send like what episode you listen to, usually it's the date and a title to that episode. And then kind of tell me what was talked about in that episode. And uh, that way, that's going to help me in rebuilding the Big Honkin Show website to make sure that I have the dates right on those episodes. Um, and if, and, and I'm able to then um, have a, just knowing, just knowing a little bit. I mean, you don't have to put like, first you did this, then you did this. Just a quick blurb about maybe some of the stories we covered, that sort of thing. And then that way I can kind of know what to put in the show descriptions when we go back. Because the Big Honkin' Show is another one that was completely lost. That, that website's completely gone and still hasn't been, um, been done. Uh, so uh, if you could... Um, if you could help out that way, I'd greatly appreciate it. So a couple of other things, and I, I'm sorry to ask for anything at this point, uh, but that, that was just there. And I was, um, 
wanting to also give another a few more shout outs before we got going um <clears throat> and um one big shout out i want to give is <laughs> to stuffity now this is normally a disney vault talk slash rebel yell thing I, I try to retweet when these links go up and, and tweet out these links from the Goldiverse, from the Geek Out Loud, and even from my own personal Twitter so that people can see these videos and know. There's there's become this running gag on Rebel Yell. It started on Rebel Yell with um, Shaz Bazaar's parody of the Thrawn, uh, of uh, the song, Run to the Hills. And here, Iron Maiden. I'm going to say Iron Maiden, not Megadeth, but it's probably Megadeth because I always get it wrong. Uh, anyhow, he did Thrawn aims to kill. Now, see, I've got to know if it's Iron Maiden or Megadeth. And I should be checking the chat, but I'm sorry. Um, Iron Maiden. See, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. Good night. Uh, let me give you a taste of all of it here real quick so you can... Uh, for those of you who are not Rock Out Loud listeners, so that you can know. And then we're going to give you a taste of Shaz's, uh, Shaz's uh, version of it, if I can find it. Um, I wasn't planning on doing going into this, in, into this much depth. All right, this is the Megadeth version. Not Megadeth, Iron Maiden. See, I did it again. So that's the original there uh, of uh, of Iron Maiden, Run to the Hills. So I just played through the uh, chorus for you. What I'm going to do now, and, and I just want you to hear, because you've got to hear the whole thing. Number one, Shaz has got some good pipes on him. Number two, the, the crafting of the lyrics is so good in this song, in this parody. Um, listen for all of the, the Star Wars references uh you know obscure and otherwise of course it's a star wars based song but shaz just does such a good job of pulling all these things in there so this is thrawn aims to kill by shaz bazaar and then we'll swing back around to what stuff that he did
and history. We wondered what red eyes could see. At every turn, we had to flee. They fought him hard and fought him well. And Sato's hammer had much to tell. And the rebels fighting to be free still wondered what red eyes would see. Factories to the jungle and waste, from the heights of the hills to the plains. On Ryloth, the Twi'leks are burning their homes, fighting him for family names. Time and again, he keeps driving them back, fighting his time till he comes to attack. Wrong names to his workers to face their demise, the lives in the palm of his hand. Ruthlessly killing while forging his mold, enslaving the young and destroying the old. tell you that what that's Shaz Bazaar from Techno Retro Dads. And again, I've said it a million times, Techno Retro Dads is everything that I wish Goal had been. Um, Stuffity uh, is a video editor extraordinaire. He's done some great things. He's got some video game 
videos on his website, it looks like, and uh, and he's done some mashup trailers and that sort of thing, some supercut trailers uh, back around The Force Awakens. So, um, <clears throat> but we, on an episode of Rebel Yell, when you see Thrawn training, we were talking about that Shaz's uh, parody, and I'm like, it'd be so funny if that's what he listens to when he's training. And then later on in that same episode, there was a fight scene in his in his office, in his quarters. And I said, what if he, before he starts fighting with everyone that's in there, hits play, and that's what play... And so we just laughing. I'm like, I need someone to do this. Well, Stubbity steps up, I mean, within days, and, and puts that out there. And it was amazing. You can check it out. It's Thrawn sparring to his theme song, uh, posted 10 months ago at youtube.com slash user slash Stuffity Plays. And uh, that's his channel. Then there was another episode where Thrawn ends up at Ezra Bridger's old um, place that he had on Lothal. And he comes in and goes to fight. And I'm like, well, we need that. We need him fighting to his theme again. And I, and I think I just said it kind of as a throwaway. Like, I always say these things as a joke. And somebody stepped up and did that. Then when the Last Jedi trailer... and uh, Well, that's number two. And then there was a trilogy. Then... There was the uh, the season finale, or one of the seasons, toward the end of the, well, I'm sorry, not even the season finale, but toward the mid-season finale, where they're stealing a TIE Defender. And Thrawn just stands out on the runway uh, and just takes a shot with his little pistol at the TIE Defender, like he's going to do anything. But he doesn't duck, he doesn't run for cover or anything. And I'm like, well, there his, his you know, his theme song. So the trilogy wraps up with the Thrawn trilogy so far is him sparring and fighting, him fighting in Ezra's old house, and then him out on the uh, the launch pad for the TIE Fighters. Then there was, uh, then there's another one that happened between all that where we got the last Jedi trailer. And it shows Ray um, Ray training, and I said it'd be so funny if we could have a training montage of Ray set to You're the Best Around from the Karate Kid. And stuff, but he does it. You know, and like it's stuff that I totally forgot that I mentioned, like totally, completely forget that I even talk about. And we start giving Stuffity the old shout outs, you know, like, hey, Stuffity should do this. Yeah, Stuffity, Stuffity should totally do this, man. It'd be awesome if he do this, <laughs> you know. And we just kind of laugh at the thought of it, never thinking. I never think it's going to happen. Like, I, and, and then once the show's over and I've edited it, or not even edited it, but just, you know, mix it down and put it out there. It's the farthest thing from my mind. I forget that I even ask for these things. Well, on the marathon episode of Disney Vault Talk, we were doing Mary Poppins. And there's the scene where Dick Van Dyke is Bert. They're in the paintings, you know, and everything. And he's dancing with the penguins. And he pulls his pants down a little bit to kind of walk like a penguin. And... um And I said, he was the first person to bust SAG. Well, Shaz was sitting in with Teresa and I, and Shaz says, no, it's hammer pants. And so I'm like, oh, Stuffity, please put put Bert to MC Hammer Music. I beg you. And, and, and again, it's one of those things, we had such a good conversation with Mary Poppins, completely forgot that moment it happened. The next thing I know on Twitter, Stuffy's like, I'm on it. And I'm like, you're on what? And I could not remember for the life of me what I had asked for. And uh, and I and I don't know if the visuals. You, it's not as good without the visuals, 
But here it is. Dyke was the original bus to sag. He, he stopped. Hammer time. Oh, it, they were hammer pants. They were hammer Dick pants. Dick Van Dyke was wearing hammer pants. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and he even dances like hammering. He, he does. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Stephanie, if you're listening. Yes. I need that. <laughs> I need that scene from Mary Poppins. And I need it put to either too legit to quit or you can't touch this. Can't touch this. Just stop hammer time. So that that's the... You can't touch this. And here he goes. He's got Dick Van Dyke as Burt dance with penguins. Two kids and it's like totally works. It's glorious. This is wonderful. I love every time I watch it. Livers and Sybil have ways that are winning, and Prudence and Gwendolyn set your spinning. Listen to this. Delightful. Maud is disarming. Janice. Pretty sure. Lydia. Charming. Cynthia's dashing. Vivian sweet. Stephanie smashing Priscilla a treat. Veronica. Millicent. Agnes. And Jane. Convivial company. Diamond again. Dorcas and Phyllis and Glynis are sorts. I'll agree with we jolly good sports, but cream of the crop. Dip of the top. Stop. Have a time. Yeah, that's how we living, and you know. So good. So very good. I can't tell you how much you all should just show Stuffity all the love. Go like his videos. Go subscribe to his channel. Give that man, uh, give that man all the love you can give him because he comes through every time better than I could ever imagine anything being. It is fantastic. And, uh, and so Stuffy, thank you so much for doing that. It, it you know, I, it, it's something that I don't have the ability to do several years ago, like, um, and by several years ago, I mean, gee whiz, 13, 14 years ago, I fancied myself, um, I fancied myself, uh, a, a video editor kind of person. And I had some stuff going on and, um, and then, and, and I just, I could not do what stuff he's done. I was doing a lot of like, I was taking Star Wars clips and, and just putting them to more modern day music, you know, rock and roll, some different stuff for the purposes of, of showing kids in a Bible study. Did some Lord of the Rings stuff that way. Oh, you'll dig this after the whole Steve Loves Creed thing. Did, uh, did a Lord of the Rings video to My Sacrifice by Creed. And it was great. Um, but nothing like this nothing like this and uh and then there's a vimeo he had to go to vimeo with one that i again completely forgot about where we were saying that lobot was the disco dancer and he put lobot clips to uh staying alive and and that's what he's listening to in his headphones all the time and it's just it's hilarious it is so good it makes me so happy and what he does is when it gets a ha ha, he does the low bot point. Perfect. He took every every little bit of Lobot, every clip of Lobot in the Empire Strikes Back, and put that to it. It's so good. So Stephanie is just awesome. 
that's a Vimeo link. I, I will, uh, uh, Stubby, I don't know if you have, um, if, if you've got a Vimeo channel, I don't know how that works on Vimeo. Uh, but what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to get links. I'm going to make links to all of these things, um, to his YouTube channel and, and to the Vimeo channel. And I'll get them put at uh, geek out online for everyone, geekoutonline.com So you can see these videos, they need to exist in eternity. I, they're, they're fantastic. They, they bring me so much joy and happiness that, um, that I just never want them to go away from the internet. I, I really think that this is one of those things that millions of people should be seeing. This, these are those types of things that should be going viral. That's how well done and well put together they are because they're just, and they, if you can't watch those things and, and laugh or enjoy them, then I don't, then you, I don't know what's wrong with you. You're, there's something broken inside of you that I don't know it can be fixed or not. Um, so that, and I know that that is hyperbole, but it's real. It's, it's true stories. And so, uh, check them out. And I just want to say thanks to somebody because I totally forgotten about that. And, uh, and I was feeling a little bit, if I'm being honest and I'm going to be honest with everybody, feeling a little bit defeated about the marathon thing, feeling a little bit like a failure about everything that going on over the month because I didn't back up properly and all that stuff. And so you know, everything was lost and everything's gone and everything's in disarray and confusion. And that causes me stress. And I felt bad and, and, and just kind of was like, and I saw that and, you know, I, there's only a certain level of feeling bad I can get to these days because, um, because in general, I am so happy. But, um, but man, uh, I tell you what, glorious. It just, it absolutely brightened my day when I saw it. And I could not wait to just show everyone else. And so I just want to let you know, the listeners of Geek Out Loud, please, uh, head over and check out Stubbity Stuff and uh, Stubbity Stuff. Stubbity Stuff. Check it out, and, and I hope you enjoy it. If you enjoy it half as much as I did, then then your day is just going to be a million times better. Um, we uh, If you want to email us, it's geekoutonline at gmail.com. As I said, geekoutonline at gmail.com. And uh, we've got a few emails, uh, not a whole lot, nothing nothing pressing, nothing new. Uh, I know we've hit, we hit a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, episodes at one time coming out because of the marathon. So not a lot, but I've got a couple emails I want to jump into real quick. So let's get into it. What, what is this? This is not the male segue music. That was not on purpose. Sorry about that. That was not on purpose at all. Just a couple because they kind of go along with a little bit about what we're talking about. Uh, this comes from our friend Dave in the Quiet Corner. Um, he says, I had some mundane chores. This is in reference to episode 231 entitled Super Friends. It says, nice podcast, Steve. I had some mundane chores at work this afternoon, but your podcast got me through it with a smile. I always like, like it 
when you act sentimentally about the 80s. It allows me to look fondly back at my childhood of the 60s. Yes, they had children back in the 60s. And what did I rush home to watch in the school after school back then? Oh, a little bit of little little cartoon called um oh, I don't know. Spider-Man? Spider-Man. And it was in, in color. Everybody, you know the words. Sing along with it. Spider-Man, Spider-Man Does whatever a spider can Spins a web any size Catches thieves just like flies Look out, here comes the Spider-Man Is he strong? Listen, bud He's got radioactive blood Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead Hey there, there goes the Spider-Man In the chill of night at the scene of the crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Welcome fame, he's ignored, action is his reward to him. Life is a great big hang-up, whenever there's a hang-up, you'll find a Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's a great old cartoon. It used to come on in syndication when I was a kid, and we'd watch it on the weekdays some, uh, and then it kind of faded out, but y you can get those now, or they were for a while available on DVD. A uh, lot of great old school stuff. If you've never watched the old Spider-Man, those 60s Spider-Man, there is a certain charm to them, and they very much feel like uh, comic books from that era. And, um, you know, each episode is self-contained. It's nothing like the 90s Spider-Man where you could turn on on Saturday morning and be like in chapter 10 of, you know, some grandiose storyline they had going the whole season or whatever. Uh, he says, I was always a DC guy back then, and I still am, but I love the Spider-Man cartoon as well as Captain America. Also, I'm glad you like the new Justice League movie. I'm sure I will too if I can find someone to see it with me. Go by yourself. Be good, Steve, and thanks again. That's Dave in the quiet corner. And he says, as a bonus, he found this little ditty. This is a little more obscure, but it's still fun. Captain America throws his mighty shield. All those who oppose, who oppose his shield must yield. If he's led to a fight and a duel is due, then the red and the white and the blue will come through when Captain America throws his mighty shield. Now, the Captain America cartoon was right up there with, like, the there was an old Hulk cartoon that happened in the 60s and stuff, and they almost looked like cartoons with, like, a piece of them animated, with a part of them animated, and not really, um, not really uh, the whole thing like we're used to today. But it was, it was what it, it, it is, it was what it was, and it's always fun, and in fact... Like when you watch the original Incredible Hulk, you know, uh, when Dr. Banner belted by gamma rays turned into the Hulk and he unglamorous. Um, when, you, when you watch those, you're literally seeing a motion comic is what they called them in the 90s on, like D, on CD-ROMs and that sort of thing. Uh, because it literally was like cut and pasted from the comic books. It was Jack Kirby art. Uh, there was also a Thorwin, um, cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard. Uh, Ho, jo, ooh. Josue, J-O-S-U-E. If I'm wrong, Josue, let me know. Quinteros. Uh, 
Uh, he says, hey, Steve, hope you are well. I am well. With the news that Fox has been purchased by Disney, I'm sure we're all super happy about the prospect of seeing the X-Men and the Fantastic Four join the MCU. I wrote down some names that might be cool to see fill these roles. I'd love to know what you think. Wolverine, Donald Logue, an actor, a talented actor that can put a different spin on the character, or Scott Eastwood, continuing the Hugh Jackman-type casting. Not familiar with either one of those people. Uh, Jean Grey, Jessica Chastain, or uh, Sayori's Ronan, or Bryce Dallas Howard. I, look, I, Bryce Dallas Howard is great. I think she may be a little... Well, of course, Femke Jensen wasn't super young, but I think she may be a little too old if they go if they try to go young uh, X-Men. Storm, Kylie Bunbury. I saw her in a Fox TV show called Pitch, and I liked what she did. Beast, Jordan Peele, or John Krasinski? I'd like to see Jordan Peele in the role of the Beast. Rogue, Britt Robertson or Haley Steinfeld? Um, Haley Steinfeld would be good. I don't know who Britt Robertson is. Cyclops, Jared Padalecki. Oh, I like that. He's got the hair for it. Professor Xavier, David Oiolo. Don't know, I don't know who that is. Or Terry O'Quinn. Is Terry O'Quinn the guy from Lost? Magneto, Jason Isaacs or Mark Strong? Jason Isaacs. I like him. Mystique, Yvonne Strahovski. Not sure who that is. And Sabretooth, Charlie Hunman. Don't really know who that is. Uh, for the Fantastic Four, Reed Richards, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. See, it's funny. I feel like you were skewing a little older on some of these picks for the X-Men, and I feel like you're skewing a little young with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Of course, I know he's not super young, but I'd like to see someone maybe a little bit different in that role. Sue Storm, Roseman Pike, or Yvonne Strahovski. Don't know who that is again. Uh, Johnny Storm, Sam Kaplan. Not sure who that is. Uh, ben, Garrett Hedlund. I feel like I should know who Garrett Hedlund is, but I don't. Victor Von Doom, Wes Bentley, or Mark Strong. Um, I think what would be neat... Look, number one, as Erish and I talked about on our Pass the Corn episode for the marathon, it's not for sure that this Fox thing is going to go through. It has to be approved by the government and all this because it is such a huge acquisition for Disney. Um, the, the entertainment arm of, of Fox, the 20th Century Fox, is, is, is huge. Um... <clears throat> and there's even a hiccup with the Fantastic Four because the rights of the Fantastic Four, Fox had was was a distributor, and 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 they end up getting distribution rights from the producer who originally bought the rights of the Fantastic Four, and I believe his name was attached to every incarnation since that unreleased Fantastic Four back in the '90s, and I can't think of his name. There's a great uh documentary that was a fan um it was a it was a crowdsourced project it's called doomed the untold story of roger corman's fantastic four and 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 they talked to uh the guy who actually um bought the rights a producer they talk about the producer actually bought the rights and and how this thing got made so he could keep those rights. And then and then and then the deal was originally with Marvel that he would keep those rights, his company would keep those rights in perpetuity as long as there was a project being made. And there had to be a project being made every so many years. Like I, I wanna say it might have been ten years. And you didn't even have to make a movie, you just had to have it in production and be able to show that it was in production. Um it's it's really they have interviews with the cast and and everybody available really talked on this thing and it's a it's a pretty well put together documentary with uh clips of the that movie and everything 
I have an extra copy. We're going to do something uh, down the road to give it away. So, uh, so stand by, not on this episode, but in, in episodes to come, we'll, uh, we'll do some stuff to give that away. But, um, I, if, if, if you get, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm okay with the X-Men being where the X-Men are. Um, I, what I'm not okay with is, um, the Fantastic Four being where they are. I, I think especially with the Infinity War cranking up, that if, if this thing can go through within the next, you know, year, that Marvel, and, and Kevin Faggy said, you know, we have uh, on our docket, you know, our wish list. And just in case we're able to do these things, we have the story ready to tell just in case we're able to do things with it. So what I'd like to see is the Fantastic Four come into play somewhere in there because here's, here's oh, we'll talk about it in a minute. I just feel like that if they can get the Fantastic Four, that's a great um, substitute for where things may end up going and, and where things may end up being as, as it pertains to, um, as it pertains to the Marvel superhero movies, uh, after infinity war is said and done. Cause we haven't really, that's one thing we haven't done. And that's one of the things I want to do on this episode is get into, um, into where these things may be going. But, so so thanks for that, Josue. I hope I pronounced your name right. I'm not really good at stuff like that. I don't know a lot of these names you threw out because I'm not... This is where I have now stepped away too much, I think, from entertainment that does not appeal to me necessarily. I, I, I don't... I'm not a movie buff. I used to think I was, but I'm realizing more and more I'm not. And But what I am is I'm, I'm into geeky genre stuff. And and I'm okay with that. I've kind of come to grips with that. So I don't really follow a lot of what people are doing in Hollywood and that sort of thing. And if I see something that kind of piques my interest, I'll go watch it and and, and that sort of stuff. But uh, I don't I don't know that um, I don't I don't know that I'm the man to start naming who should be cast in what. So just being honest. And so I, I'm sure there are people who are listening right now who are like, Steve, you know this, you know this. Um, so why don't you just, uh, why don't, why don't you, Garrett Hedlund is Sam Flynn. Thank you, Shaz Bazaar. Um, yeah, I can see him doing whatever he wants. He'd be a great Victor Von Doom. Is that who you said he should be? Because I got news for you. He'd be, he'd be a great young Victor Von Doom. If they go Victor, but they've got to go Victor Von Doom and he's got to have an accent. Anyhow, uh, what I, what I thought would be fun on this, I forget what I was talking about. I got lost in the chat. What I want to talk about on this episode is something I've had kind of in my mind for a while. I'm not a historian, um, and, and I'm not going to have all the information on everything, but I've done a little bit of looking and a little bit of glance, and, and I thought it would be a fun experiment and just something fun to do to kind of go back and see, you know, with Ant-Man and Wasp trailer being released lately. Oh, why don't we talk about that? I'm sorry. Let's talk about this. I just have one question. When Cap needed help... If I'd asked you, would you have come? I guess we'll never know. But if you had, you'd have never been caught. I do some dumb things. And the people I love the most, they pay the price. Thanks to you, we had to run. We're still running. Let's go.
just need someone watching your back. Like a partner. Hold on. You gave her wings and blasters. So I take it you didn't have that tech available for me? No, I did. That's July, coming up this year in July, Ant-Man and Wasp. And I got to tell you, I really, really liked Ant-Man. We've talked a little bit about that before. It was it was a movie that surprised me by how much I liked it. It has the cutest child actor in it since, I don't know, the, the Olsen twins, uh, since Punky Brewster. She is fantastic. Paul Rudd is great. And, and this trailer does so much, or this teaser does a ton of, to just give us images, and, and the whole point is to show us the wasp more than anything else, to show us Hope Van Dyne is the wasp, Evangeline Lilly. And we get a glimpse of who I think is the villain, and I cannot place him. He looks so familiar, and it's like i got to go through my Marvel stuff and see. Because the first time I watched I'm like, is that the Taskmaster? Is that Grim Reaper? But it's not. But the, the, the mask looks so familiar to me, and it's absolutely eating me alive as to to try to figure out who that is. And so I've got to go back. I've got to go grab my Marvel Dictionary or the absolutely everything you need to know or something and just start flipping through until I find that thing's picture and, and figure out who it is. But um, I, Lawrence Fishburne uh, is in it, and I don't know who he's supposed to be playing. I love the clicking of the button and the building shrinking down to luggage. And um, it's just I am so looking forward to this movie. And... Um, and uh, and I, I'm, I'm I'm stoked about superhero movies right now. I really truly am, particularly as you know the Marvel side of things. And Marvel is that has become a machine, putting these movies out. And 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 there are people that criticize. You know, well they're all the same or blah blah blah. I don't think so. I think they do a good job of keeping an in universe feel, but also making sure to kind of set each one apart as its own. Thing And we'll talk a little bit about that as we get kind of into this discussion that I'm now going to try to start for the third time. And it's a discussion about just kind of strolling down memory lane, memory lane and, and looking back at some of the superhero films uh, through history and just kind of where we were and, and where we've come to. So I, I couldn't really think of a good, I don't really know a good, uh, this is a fun little ditty to kind of open up into this, to segue to this. What is going on? What just happened? Here we go.
Now see, if I were any type of prep guy, I would have sat down and edited together a bunch of superhero themes, you know, this really cool mashup of superhero themes all the way back to like, you know, the original George Reeves Superman up to, you know, today's Thor Ragnarok soundtrack and all that stuff. But but I I just instead played the animated, you know, the Batman Superman animation hour or whatever theme because I always thought it was cool. I thought it was a great mashup of very Batman theme and that Superman animated series theme, which is a really good Superman theme, by the way. And uh, so, I, you know, so there, that's that's what that was, in case you were wondering. Um, so here's what I did. I actually went through and uh, just found a list of superhero movies. I, I didn't go Marvel, DC. I just went straight up superhero movies, uh, movies that are based on superheroes. We all get it. Why am I, why am I repeating myself 500 times? And the earliest superhero movies from 1920, and, and this is debatable as, as if he's a superhero, but back in the 20s, this would have been a superhero. Guys like this and the Scarlet Pimpernel, that sort of thing. The Mark of Zorro uh, was based on the 1919 Zorro story, The Curse of Capistrano. Um, from there, it was a silent film, uh, as was the sequel, Don Q, Son of Zorro. Uh, the first talking Zorro film was The Bold Caballero. Uh, it was put out by Republic Pictures in 1936. In 1940, they remade Mark of Zorro, only with sound this time, the 1920 Mark of Zorro. Uh, in 1958, The Sign of Zorro. In 1959, Zorro the Avenger. Now, these are all Zorro movies. These were big. Now, that now in there, you get some DC properties, but DC wasn't quite um, up and running just yet. And, and so I want to be faithful to, to not just hit the DC and Marvel superhero theme, movies, but I want, to, I want to get a few that are, you know, from what we would call, well, you got your Toxic Avenger in 1984, which, you know, I'm not really super familiar with. You got things like Dark Man, and, you know, some people may consider Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles superhero movies. Um, but like The Shadow in the 90s, The Mask was based on a comic book. Uh, Blank Man, Tank Girl in the 90s, Judge Dredd in the 90s, uh, The Phantom. Uh, in the 90s, Spawn, you know, in the 90s, all these different things in the 90s. But but what? I, but I don't want to get ahead of myself because, you know, you talk about black and white movies back then. You know, you're talking about the Mark of Zorro as a silent film. Never seen this. I think it'd be interesting. Zorro became uh, a TV show. You know, uh, I, I used to watch it in syndication on the Disney Channel, I believe, back in the day. And, and was just fascinated. Like, he's, you know, Zorro did the fencing thing. He had the sword, and he would leave the mark of Zorro when he uh, went, you know, that Z. He'd cut Zs into people's shirts or onto the walls or that sort of thing. And um, <clears throat> in a lot of ways, he was a superhero. On the DC side of things, the first time you get a superhero film in theaters were the serial films. Um, now, in 1941 was The Adventures of Captain Marvel. But now, at this time... Uh, Captain Marvel was owned by Fawcett Comics. So really the first superhero serial that we get uh, in theaters is Batman. Um, now this is nothing like the Batman we would come to know in the 60s or beyond. You know, this is, uh, this is all the technology of the 1940s. So Batman's carrying a gun. Basically he's just wearing a Batman cowl and cape, you know, and he's driving around just in a regular old car. The Batmobile is just kind of a regular car. Um, Superman, the Superman serials with Kirk Allen, uh, the first one would not come around until 1948. In fact, Kirk Allen was actually billed 
as Superman. He wasn't credited as uh, Kirk Allen. He was credited as Superman. Uh, and then in 1949, you'd have Batman and Robin. And then in 1950, you'd have the Superman serial, uh, the Adam Man versus Superman, which I believe was where we were introduced to a guy named Luther. Uh, he was a bald, mad scientist, um, which may have or may not have been a spinoff of Lex Luthor eventually. Uh, but the first feature-length DC Comics movie was in 1951. It was Superman and the Mole Men. And this would later also, I think, play out as a multi-part uh, pilot for uh, the, the Adventures of Superman television show. I may be wrong on that, um, but uh, so don't hold me to that. So you're in the 1940s and 50s still, and you're dealing with the, the 1940s and 50s uh, technology. As far as Marvel on the big screen goes, uh, Marvel was known as Timely Comics in the 40s, and they had Captain America. And so there was a Captain America sequel in 1944. This is right in the middle of World War II. Patriotism is all-time high. Captain America's carrying a gun. He's doing his thing, you know. Um and uh, it was, uh, it was uh, the plot is this. I'm, I'm going to read the plot of that original Captain America movie. It's one I've never seen. A rash of suspicious suicides among scientists and businessmen, all found holding a small scarab, gets the attention of Mayor Randolph. He demands that Police Commissioner Dryden and District Attorney Grant Gardner get to the bottom of the case while openly wishing that Captain America, a masked man who has helped defeat crime in the past, were around to solve the mystery. So we're not even getting into the war. Um... We're getting into mystery and, and solving crimes, you know, in a city. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, but in the comics, meanwhile, in the comics, you've got, you know, on, on the cover of comics, Captain America punching out Hitler and that sort of thing. So they're really doing limited stuff with what they've got going on with their characters back then, and they have to, you know. I mean, it's, it's the 40s. It's the 50s. You know, this is where... Uh, where where Superman in those original Superman serials was actually um, animated when he would up up and away you know he they, he doesn't it wasn't a man flying it wasn't a man on wires he was animated they would just animate him um, when you get to the 1951 Superman serial you're talking about George Reeves who if I would encourage everyone to give the old Adventures of Superman a shot. George Reeves did a great job. Don't George Reeve. Oh, my Lanza. What an idiot. Come on, Steve. Get your stuff together. I, it's Christopher Reeve and George Reeves. Yes, I'm right. Okay. George Reeves does a fantastic job of being Superman, but also Clark Kent. And what we see in these 1950s movie and then the, the series is mild-mannered does not mean weak and clumsy. It just means mild-mannered. just means a decent guy who kind of keeps to himself and does his thing. He's got his friends and his buddies and all, but there's nothing really outstanding about him. And that was, this, that was the great thing about Clark Kent, is there was nothing particularly noticeable about him. He was a reporter, and he wasn't an inept reporter. He was a good reporter. But when Lois and Jimmy got in trouble or when there, when there was a problem that Clark Kent couldn't handle, guess what? This is a job for Superman. And, you know, the, 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 the story is famously that they put him on a wire and the wire snapped and he kind of hung there and then, and then George Reeves refused to do wires again. 
So he would come and he would jump out the window. He would uh, bust through walls. And then when they wanted to show him flying, he was basically laid out on a board with his hands in front of him. And, and you had the screen behind him with the clouds going by and everything. The stories are what make that series, not the special effects. Uh, it's one of the first television shows to be filmed in color. Uh, in season two, I believe, is when that began. Maybe season three, but don't hold me to any of that. But this was, but people would thrill. They thrilled to this character. And here's what's really interesting: is from that moment on, with the George Reeves Superman, and even with the serials, you know, the Superman serials and the Batman serials. From that moment on, you don't go a decade without some type of superhero movie in that decade. Uh, well, you know, not just not just based on a comic book, but but a Superman. I mean, a superhero movie. So in 1966, you had Batman, which we all know that's a send-up and everything, and it's related to the Batman television series. But in that movie, in, in that Batman movie, as silly as it is, you know, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. You have the Joker, the Riddler, Penguin, Catwoman, versus Batman and Robin. In they haven't done it before. They haven't done it since. You've had Catwoman and Penguin together. You've had the Riddler and Two-Face together. You've had the Joker on screen a couple of times. You've had the Joker and Two-Face. You've had Two-Face on screen one, you know, another time. Um, you've had Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy together, but you've never had those big bads. Of, and, and I'll tell you, growing up, for me... Uh, Riddler was always in that great pantheon of Batman villains. It was it, those four really were the Batman villains growing up. You know, this was before I knew about Two Face and before I knew about some of these others that that kind of come along that I learned more about as I got into actual comic books. You know, but for me, it was Joker and Penguin, and, and Joker and Penguin also made their way onto a lot of the cartoon stuff. You know, when you had Batman, and this is going to sound silly, but when you had Batman team up with Scooby Doo, you know, who were the villains? Joker and Penguin. So Joker, Penguin, Riddler, and Catwoman, that's huge to have those on screen in 1966. And again, was it perfect? No, not at all. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But it was what the TV show was. And quite frankly, the TV show's not bad. I mean, it's is it campy? Yes. Is it, uh, is it kind of a send-up of the genre? Sure. But um, I tell you what, I love the fact, and I, and I saw this in a, I've said this before that I read there was a, there was a comic done several years back that was kind of like, it was meant to be like the adventures of Adam West, as though Adam West is an adventurer kind of person. And, um, and he's kind of bemoaning the fact that the world has gotten so dark and so cynical, and he's like, you know, now they want a dark night. I remember when a Cape Crusader was enough, is basically kind of the sentiment. You know, and there is something about the dynamic duo, a Cape Crusader, not a dark night that, you know, that we've all come to expect. One moment, please. I got a technical difficulty going on here. I have rolled over a cord that happens to belong to my headphones. So we're going to try to stand up here. And oh, 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 my head is stuck. Oh, man, this is not good. This is a bad situation. Whoa, I've lost my headphones. Everything is collapsing around me the buildings are tumbling if if this podcast indeed the world ever needed heroes that time is now that time is now dun, 
Anyhow. And of course, you know, Batman in 1966 gave us one of the great themes of all time. na 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 Sock. Pow. You know, all that good stuff. So, um, you'll never hear... And I was, when I was stupider, and by that I mean young and dumb, um... Particularly after around 1989, you know, I was into comics and love the 89 Batman. We'll get there in a moment. But I was the one who said, well, this isn't, this is, this old Batman is stupid. It doesn't get better than this, though, in a lot of ways. Sing it if you know it. Oh, it's, it's the, the words are easy. Batman. Come on. Batman. Batman. And Robin. Batman. 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 Hit the nanas with me. So that's 1966, and, and and now look, at this point, we've not hit Marvel. Uh, Marvel has done some cartoons. Marvel was really into the cartoons in the 60s. Um, they, as far as films go, though, there, there was really nothing from them. For 42 years, between Captain America being on the big screen uh, and, and in 1986, Howard the Duck was be the next Marvel property that was on screen, on the big screen. However, what you did have were television shows. They, they did, as I said, the cartoons. They did, um, in the 70s, you had the Incredible Hulk. They tried to get a Spider-Man show up and running. They had a Doctor Strange pilot that never went anywhere. Um, <clears throat> but on Saturday morning, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, you had an Incredible Hulk cartoon. You had uh, the, the aforementioned 60s Spider-Man cartoon. Um, so Marvel, they had Fantastic Four cartoons in the 60s and 70s, I believe, particularly the 70s. Uh, if it were 60s, it would have been very late 60s. Uh, that's where they brought in Herbie the Robot to replace Johnny Storm for some reason. Um, and, and so Marvel was doing TV and comics, but they weren't really hitting the big screen the way DC was. But then uh, everything about superheroes changed um, on the big screen and maybe even in, in live-action form altogether. Because after, after 1978, no one would ever look at what was, uh, what was considered a superhero movie the same again.
you know, everything about Superman the movie up until the very end is almost perfect. I know I just really put over George Reeves as Clark Kent not being bumbling and, and, and that sort of thing. But by 1978, you had we were living in a more cynical world. Uh, Star Wars had hit in 77, um, and and so the way people looked at what movies could be had changed, and when you get to 1978 Superman, you've got a world that looks at George Reeves and Superman and says, well, how can no one not know that Clark Kent is Superman? So Christopher Reeve comes along, and he puts that really nerdiness to Clark Kent when he's out at the Daily Planet. And um, and so then he becomes Superman. There's a great moment in Superman the movie, and I've talked about this a million times on this show. But it's after he and Lois fly. And, I, and you know what? I take that back. Probably outside of... I don't like the whole you, can you read my mind sequence with him flying. It goes on a little too long for my taste. But once they get back from flying... Uh, he drops her off. She um, and he leaves, and there's this great effect where the camera never cuts away. It's all done in one shot. She says good night. He flies off. The camera follows her into her apartment, through her apartment, to the knocking on the door, which happens to be Clark Kent on the other side of the door. All in one shot. So, so it appears that Superman has flown off and and in great super speed uh, turned into Clark Kent, put on his Clark Kent garb, and, um, and, and, and is there. And it's fantastic. So Lois goes to get ready because they were supposed to go out on a date, I guess, because Clark's like, I, by golly, I'm going to show her the best time of her life. And he says, Lois, there's something I need to tell you. And he takes off his glasses. And it's not just that he takes off his glasses. His whole expression changes. And he straightens up, and it's like his face alters. And then he decides suddenly not to, and he just slumps back down and puts the glasses on and starts his little stutter thing again. And it's it's an amazing piece of acting by Christopher Reeve. And I, I and this because Richard Donner and, and and there's all sorts of documentaries about this ever since when Superman Returns came out twelve years ago. Um. Richard Donner's whole thing was verisimilitude. I want there to be truth in this art. I want I want us to, if we're going to do it, I want it to be truth, and I want it to. I don't. I want the flying to look real. I mean, the tagline was "You will believe a man can fly." I want the flying to look as real as humanly possible. I want uh, everything to be felt and understood. The humor was there. Yes, Otis was funny. Lex Luthor had some humor about him, a dark humor about him. Uh, Miss Tessmacher, you know. The Clark Kent Lois Lane stuff, the little sight gags where he catches the bullet and that sort of thing. But there's also a lot of emotion there when he's talking, when his dad dies and they're standing at the grave and all those powers, all those things I could do and I couldn't even save him. This take on the person of Superman and the character of Superman was so good and the effects were so good and the way that it, and, and the structure of the film, you start out on Krypton, you, you know, you have a whole act pretty much it seems like on Krypton and you and then you go from there you know to you know as as, as Kal-El goes to Earth and he's there in Kansas and 
you know, all of this with the sweeping score that John Williams provides for this film. And, and, and John Williams' score for this movie is, is brilliant. I'm not a music person, but I'll tell you that as far as, listen to this. I mean, and that's on Crypt. That's the Krypton fanfare, of course. But then you get to the fields of Kansas, and um, and of course Jonathan Kent dies, and all those powers. And I couldn't even save him. And then the crystal calls out to him, and he and he finds the crystal, and it's this great coming of age thing. And yeah, you know what? They were doing the whole uh, the whole Christ figure thing almost overly much, and that's become a thing because of Superman the movie. And I get that. But there's a lot of other things this movie set up, and it, the structure of the superhero origin film, um, the fact that we get to know the person before they're ever uh, the hero, and then they we see how they actually kind of step into that heroism, that heroism, and then there's the big coming out moment with a few little feats of of excitement, and then we get into boom, the big story, and that's what the that's what this this movie was, you know. Um, there was mystery to it when he finds that crystal, you know, and this is what's going on as he finds finds that crystal in the in the barn and then and then there's the scene out in the field where his mom or Ma Kent basically um you know goes out to ask him what's going on and you know, he says, I'm leaving and she's like, We knew this day would come and um, you know, we always knew where do you think you're headed? And he just says, North, you know. He talked to Ben Hubbard. He'll tell, take care of the farm, that sort of thing. Um, and it's it's like at this point, it's a completely different movie than how it started. Like by and it's not that long a deal. But by the time you get to this music and you get to this point, you're in a. It feels like you're in a completely different film. And Krypton seems so far away. It's just masterfully done. The way that that the, the movie is set up. You know, and and it's almost like the cinematography even changes, so that it's a softer feel to what you're looking at, and the golden waves of grain out on the out on the grass and out in the fields, and just and this music, man. You don't hear this really anywhere else in the Superman movies. You never really hear the Smallville music anywhere else. And this is this is beautiful. I've got to shut up.
Now it'll swell up in a minute. I mean, and this sounds like classic John Williams. I mean, you can hear this style of music in, in Indiana Jones, like at the, some of the quieter moments and in Star Wars and, and in all of his stuff, but this it's just so wonderfully done here. And there's even some old westerns that he did as Johnny Williams that you hear this same style of uh, of film of, of music in, and it's just man. But you never hear it again in the Superman movies, you know, because we never really get back to Smallville, except for in Superman Four, um, the Quest for Peace. Uh, but this is just man. I just love this piece of music, especially as it swells up here, and. Um, you know, as they stand together out on the fields, just looking out and kind of saying their goodbyes. You know, he this is he's saying goodbye. It sounds a little bit like, you know, there you can hear John Williams for sure in that, but it's just a great piece of music. Um, but this movie, Superman the movie, really, I think, set the bar for every superhero film that comes after it because so many followed that uh, that formula that was there that I talked about. Um, but, you know, the uh, the story, of course, is that Superman 1 and 2 were filmed at the same time. Superman 2 comes out, it, to me, it is the greatest, it was, for the longest time in my book, the greatest superhero movie sequel ever. It was, it was absolute perfection to me. Now, some people, you know, we can get in the whole Donner cut versus Lester cut. I grew up on the Lester cut, and I loved the Richard Lester, that's what I knew as Superman 2, and I absolutely loved it. All my life, I loved it, and I love it because it gives us a great moment in superhero history. When Superman, when the lights are on out, you know, in there, the lights are on out here and you were safe in there, you know, and uh, it's just this great moment of everything is lost or so you think. And, you know, then he steps into the whole thing. Now, at this point, this is Ken Thorne using John Williams doing and Ken Thorne did a great job in Superman two and three of taking John Williams music and and using it to good effect, especially the Fortress stuff. So Superman comes out, you think his powers are gone again, and Zod... Oh! 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 You know, oh, I love it so much, and the fight is so good! The fight they have in Metropolis, you know, and then they get to the Fortress of Solitude, and it's all kind of weird because of the, the weird powers and stuff, but... But the uh, the fight in in Metropolis is so good, and I know it's a 1980 movie, but it's still just really really good stuff. And and it really you feel like I, I I it's almost a false start for superhero movies at that point, because you feel like well this we're just in a we're it'll never it'll never go away. This it'll always be this good. Um, Swamp Thing in 82, I vaguely remember watching Swamp Thing when it came on TV. You know, it's not one of my favorites. I'm sure some, I'm sure it is someone's favorite movie, but I can't speak about it. What I can speak about is seeing Superman 3 in the theaters in, in 1983 as a six-year-old kid and being scared when the woman turned into a robot at the end. Um, 
what a weird movie. But there is still the thing about this is, um, you know, it was Richard Pryor, it was uh, Richard Lester directing. Richard Lester was uh, he'd done several films. You know, he, he wasn't just the Superman guy. Richard Lester did, uh, I believe, he did the Three Musketeers films, um, the, yeah, and the Four Musketeers for for the Sawkinds. Um, he 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 Birch casted in Sundance the early days. You know, is something he did. Um, he would later in 1989 do the return of the Musketeers. He, he was not an unaccomplished, uh, filmmaker. He, uh, did a funny thing happen on the way to the forum back in the 1960s, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, but he brought a certain, it was not quite the, the strict adherence to verisimilitude that uh, Richard Donner and company had, even though, you know, when you see that Donner cut, you can kind of see where, well, you didn't quite have it, you know, that sort of thing. There's a few things that you kind of you know, ignored, but uh, but Superman three was, uh, you know, it was almost a return to camp in a lot of ways, um, but it was because they wanted Richard Pryor to be funny and, and to shine the spotlight on him. I think, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but I think Richard Pryor didn't want to be funny. I think that he kind of thought he was going to go and either be a be a bad guy or be be like Superman's sidekick or something, you know, and he ends up kind of being a this dorky guy, but he does great, and there's some great funny moments in it, but there's also that moment where Superman fights himself. You know, the crypt, he gets the weird, messed-up kryptonite, and he becomes evil, and then he splits into two out in the junkyard, and they have that fight, and there's that great moment where he opens his shirt, and he's all clean again, and Superman's back, and he does, and he fights the good fight and all that stuff. 1984 brought a Supergirl from the Salkinds. Supergirl's not a bad movie. I just think that people don't know what it was. I think that when people watched it back then... They didn't quite, they weren't quite able to get behind it. I, I remember, I still like it okay. You know, I mean, it, it's definitely a Salkind film. It definitely has that feel. It definitely has, um, definitely has all that. The music of, of Supergirl was scored, oh my gosh, I always get them too confused. I need to find out real quick. Um, and, uh, and make sure I, I, I get it right. Uh. Who did the music? Was it Goldsmith? Was it Jerry Goldsmith that did the music? Yes, Jerry Goldsmith. And, you know, and he's a, he is one of those accomplished, you know, he, Lord, his credits. This is not a bad superhero theme at all. Listen to this. So that's a good theme. You know, Jerry Goldsmith also, you can hear some of the Star Trek stuff in there. You know, Jerry Goldsmith did Star Trek. He also did uh, Rambo, you know, First Blood and Rambo First Blood Part Two, And and so, you know, he did a few Star Trek movies. He he is uh, so much more than that. And I apologize <clears throat> for, for not going through his. He's, he's a composer worth like walking through 
his stuff, like on a, on an episode, doing a Jerry Goldsmith episode, because it, it it's that good. His stuff is that good, and he was that accomplished as a composer, as a film composer, and that sort of thing. So, but when you watch Supergirl, they do a great job. Janelle Swart was the uh, was the director, and he would go on. He would actually direct a few episodes of Smallville down the road. Uh, Helen Slater was fantastic. Um, Jimmy Olsen, Mark McClure's Jimmy Olsen made an appearance in this. There's a great moment where she sees a poster of Superman on the wall. She's roommates with Lucy Lane and, and that sort of thing. The It gets confusing. The origin is a little confusing. Who she is, how she comes out with her Supergirl suit and everything. is It's all just kind of glossed over. Like they, they lose a little bit in trying to give her uh, a decent origin story. Um, and but we do go to the Phantom Zone in this movie, so there's a lot of neat Superman mythology and and that sort of thing there. Uh, it it's just it's one of, it just falls a little short, and 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 I understand why, you know. And they were relying on a lot of tricks that they'd already used as far as special effects. There's nothing really super innovative there, and um, and so it just kind of gets looked over, and rightfully so. I mean, I, I you know I feel like that it's not. And you've got to be a hardcore fan to love this kind of stuff. And so with Superman 3 and then Supergirl, you start to see this genre waning, you know? And of course, 86 is Howard the Duck. It's a Marvel film. And, you know, Marvel wouldn't go back to the theater again for another three or four years. And, and even then, it wasn't good what they would do. because in But then in 1987, you had what very well could have been the death knell for superheroes, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Now... We've talked about that. I mention this all the time. I feel like there is uh, there is some good in Superman for the quest for peace. Unfortunately, it's so overshadowed by what's not good that it's hard to see, and it's and it's hard to get people sold on it. And um, but man, his stuff at the farm, um, his when uh, his stuff when when he's sick after he's been scratched and he's dying and he uses the last power of Krypton to to come back, you know, and, and make his return to fight nuclear man. Um, the message that Christopher Reeve was trying to get out there, I think, was one that was near and dear to his heart at the time. And and maybe he overreached a little bit in the story he was trying to tell. Uh, John Cryer is in it, you know. I, the, the cast is fantastic. It, the, all the all the players from the Superman movie from from Superman the movie are there, you know, and it's just it just falls way, way flat. It's just not good. It's just not good. Um, it, it's I love it. You know, I love it for what it is, and I can watch it any time. But I, I do recognize that it's not good. Um, <clears throat> but then in 1989, you know, here's the thing: if you thought that everything was tapering off as a superhero fan with superhero movies, um, if there had been an internet in 1987, people would have been saying, "Well, Superman four ruined the superhero genre. But it would just be two years later that Tim Burton would bring Michael Keaton as Batman and Jack Nicholson as the Joker to the big screen. And this movie took the world by storm. Batman was, I mean, it was a, it was a, a pop culture phenomenon. I remember I, I went and saw it by myself. I was uh, 12 years old. It was summer of 89. We were down in St. Simons Island, Georgia, and um, I went, we, we went to the mall over in Brunswick, me and my family, and I went to see Batman while they hung out at the mall. No one wanted to go see Batman with me. And so I went and watched Batman by myself and just thrilled to this movie. 
everything about it. I thought, well, this is fantastic. And as I said, as a punk little 12 year old kid, I thought, well, that old Batman is stupid. They don't take it seriously. When you go back and watch Batman now, 1989 Batman, you realize that Danny Elfman didn't quite, t- I'm not Danny Elfman, this is the Danny Elfman theme, of course. Which is as iconic for Batman as the John Williams Superman theme is for Superman. But you realize that Tim Burton didn't really take Batman seriously. Um, th- there's a He so wants to focus on the villains in these movies that Batman kind of gets overshadowed. You don't have... You have kind of that that formula that was laid out in the, in the original Superman, but they don't really get back to that for a little bit in superhero movies when they start kind of being successful again. Uh, well, it's not that this was unsuccessful. Uh, but, man, Jack Nicholson as the Joker was great. You know, it's like Jack Nicholson got to play in a way that he hadn't got to play in a while. Um, Michael Keaton, I remember even as a kid, because I knew Michael Keaton as like Mr. Mom and a couple of other little funny roles. I knew he was a comedian, and I was... I remember asking my older sister, I'm like, do you really think he can play a serious role? And she looked at me and said, do you think this is a serious role? Like, just like that. And I'm like, what, what do you know? Yes, it's a serious role. Who do you think you are? Um, of course, though, but you also had the Prince soundtrack that went along with it and everything. So, uh, But it was a cultural phenomenon, was this Batman movie. And it, of course, spawned uh, several sequels. Now, on the Marvel side of things, they're trying to kick in again now. And, and they released The Punisher with Dolph Lundgren. And it went direct to video in the U.S. And uh, it got a limited theatrical release around the world. But, y'all, it's not good. It's not. It, it's, uh, it is an 80s action it could You could have called that anything except The Punisher and changed, like, the player's name so it's not Frank Castle. And, and it could have been any, you know, generic 80s action film, you know, with a little bit of gore. Just... It's not great as as the Punisher film is, it, you know, as Punisher films go. In 1990, though, there was Captain America. And I remember when this bad boy came out. Um, <laughs> Matt Salinger plays Steve Rogers, Captain America. And this movie does, it does, it opens up in World War II. You get the whole origin of Captain America. You see him get, you know, frozen in ice, and then he comes back. For some reason, uh, the the Red Skull is not German. He's Italian in this instance. He's uh, and he grows up, of course, in fascist Italy. And and so when Steve Rogers comes back, he's fighting the he's fighting the Red Skull in Italy. Um, he has to save the president. I mean, like it. And I remember 1990, 13 year old kid when this finally hit the video stands because it didn't go to the theaters. But they were saying in the comics, you know, they were promoting this movie in the comic books. Uh, you know, Stan Lee's soapbox and everything, talking about how great Captain America is, true believer. Um, I liked it, you know, and I have a copy of it now on Blu-ray after they released it a, a couple of years back when Captain America the First Avenger came out. And and I I mean, like, it's a movie I'll still watch to this day every now and again. It's one of those quaint kind of things, you know, that that, that just is... It, it's just kind of... It is... It's a... It's a product of what was going on at the time. You know, Marvel was was licensing out their stuff to not good, you know, not quality production companies. And, um, I mean, to, to give you an example, this the film rights were originally purchased by the Canon Group. Um, 
And so Canon Globus was responsible for um, for Superman for the Quest for Peace and a lot of other bad movies. You know, I mean, they made intentionally cheap bad movies. Uh, electric, uh, 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 um, Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo, that sort of thing. Um, but you know, this this whole thing it was supposed to coincide with the 50th anniversary of Captain America, and it just never really. It wasn't good. I mean, it wasn't. It, it's not. It is not bad. It is not good. I mean, but it's not like terrible. You can kind of see where it's trying to go, but it's just not. It doesn't get there because it wasn't. Um, it. I, I feel like they just didn't take it seriously enough to do the work. You know, to. I don't think that Marvel realized what they had. I don't think that they had. It wouldn't be until um, Avi Arad would actually get in Stan Lee's ear. To get serious about this stuff. And then they had other things that end up because of the way they did their rights, they just kind of fell into production purgatory like Spider-Man and, and some other movies. And we've already talked about the fantastic four. So that's 1990, you know, with, with captain America there. And, and you just see, well, Marvel's not doing it, but somehow Batman did it, but then Batman returns hits and y'all Batman returns is not good. I'm sorry. It's not, it's not good. It's not. I tried to watch it and it and I just it's not good. I like Batman Forever in '95 better than I like Batman Returns. And Batman Forever is when we hit the Joel Schumacher "Let's Do Everything Blacklight" and all. But Joel Schumacher was also a fan of the original 1960s Batman show and, and that movie. And so he's trying to do a throwback to that in some ways, especially when you hit '97's Batman and Robin. So Marvel in '94 they've got the whole Fantastic Four debacle, which was a whole thing. To that movie was made, and Roger Corman was given a million dollars, and I think he even put some of his own money in, to make this movie just so the people who bought the rights could keep the rights to it. And it was never meant to see the light of day. It got leaked out to the masses and started getting passed around on tapes at conventions and everything. And so, you know, now you can buy a bootleg copy, but that's all that's out there are bootleg copies. What we need is for a real, legit, Fantastic Four movie to come out and fire people up so they can release this thing on like a proper DVD, Blu-ray kind of thing. But, uh, but if you've, if you've never seen, I'll tell you this, though, the though it's not great, though, it's not good. There's some, there's some neat music to it. You can hear what the composers were trying to, at this point in time, they're trying to do everything, uh, tropish, uh, you know, just trying to, they ape a little Jurassic Park. They ape a little, uh, Star Wars at some point. Just, just listen to this. This is David and Eric Worst. This is that Fantastic Four 1994 music. That's the main title themes as they're coming on. I mean, you can hear. I mean, like they're trying to be a super, and it and it works. But this movie, for as bad as it was, was the most faithful to the comics of any of these other um, incarnations that have come out. If I'm being honest, here's the Doctor Doom march, by the way.
bum, 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 bum. Uh, yeah, so if you have an opportunity, and it may be on YouTube, I don't know. If you have an opportunity and can stand it, watch watch a little bit of the uh, the 1994 Fantastic Four film. Uh, you'll be glad you did. In 1995, Batman Forever comes out. Um, Jim Carrey was on a roll. Uh, Val Kilmer plays Batman. Uh, of course, Chris O'Donnell comes in as Robin. Um, Tommy Lee Jones uh, takes on the role of Two-Face. Two-Face ends up being just kind of a just a different looking version of the Joker. You know, they tried to play it off. This was, you know, they, there was a big deal made that Drew Barrymore was in this and she's kind of like a blink and you miss her in some ways. Um, but this is kind of the beginning of her trying to come back from, from some of the issues and stuff she'd had, uh, you know, that were overly public uh, in the late eighties into the early nineties. Um, but again, you know, nothing, it, it seems like, it seems like that, superhero movies you might have a spike here and there but they're gonna be basically the b-movie genre forever there was no one with any real vision now dc being owned by warner brothers at this point and having the relationship they had with warner brothers was really helping some of these movies get a big budget like batman forever which was not you know which was i like better than batman returns but still not a superior superhero film and then 97, Batman and Robin, come on. And then still in 1997 with Shaq, it's it's sad. Like, that is a sad movie. It's just not, I'm sorry, it's not good. And, and, it's, and it's barely still. But you see what you had were people who didn't quite trust the superhero genre anymore, or didn't quite trust, they, they, the filmmakers did not think that these characters could translate well to the screen and would not take them seriously. So rather than um, appease the fans, they were trying to make things that they thought the general public could get into. But here's the thing, and this is the, this is the dirty little secret about superheroes. And this is the dirty little thing about the superhero genre and comic books and that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> the... Superheroes as we know them, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, uh, Spider-Man, the Incredible Hulk, the Fantastic Four, Captain America, uh, they would not be around in the 90s if they weren't appealing for those 50 years prior. You know, in 1939, Superman's introduced in action comics. Not long after that, Batman's introduced in detective comics. In the 60s, the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, the Incredible Hulk, the Amazing Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, all these characters are, are introduced, and they, they withstand the test of time. Their books, their comics continue to sell. It's not like suddenly something happened with those superhero genres that it wasn't like the old romance genres, the horror genre, the Western genre of comics. These things lasted, and they continued to sell and continued to make money for these companies, not only the books, but then they were able to spin off into cartoons. And, and so, and obviously, um, obviously there is an appeal to kids there and all of these things. But there's also something, I mean, you had a, a successful Incredible Hulk television show. There was, that show was successful. It ran for four seasons. That's, that's a successful TV show by all, you know, by all accounts. Um, there's something that within these characters 
strikes the psyche of the nation, that strikes the psyche of pop culture. They get in the zeitgeist and they last it. And, and, I, and they become almost America's mythology in, in a way. They become the legends of America. And, and so, but what the movie companies weren't seeing was that if they would take these properties seriously, and, and be as true to the characters and be as true to the mythos as they could, in the same way that the 1978 Superman, the movie, was successful, these movies would have continued to be successful. But they, were, they would not do that. They did not trust these, these movies. Now, meanwhile, what's going on over in, uh, over in Marvel is they've gone bankrupt. 1996, Marvel fires for bank... Fires? You fire it. They file for bankruptcy. And, and so now, you know, they have to pull themselves up out of that quag um, to, to, to basically turn things around. Joe Casada steps in as editor-in-chief on the comic side of things. And, um, and he really, I remember in 96, you know, the, the clone saga over in the Spider-Man comics had had been a mess. People hated it. It had, it had gone incredibly terribly. And, and Joe Casada came out and he said, yeah, we're sorry about that. That was not good. And I just remember being blown away that this guy was saying this was not good. I'm like, who does that? That's not what Stan Lee did. Stan Lee, you say, this is the greatest thing ever, true believers. But Joe Casada said, you know what? We've made a lot of mistakes and we're going to try to fix that now. And to his credit, man, Marvel turned it around. And, and he did some innovative and creative things with Marvel. Now, the Heroes Reborn and that sort of thing was kind of weird, but it was still trying new stuff. And, and they were continuing to go. On the, uh, on the flip side of that, as I said, Avi Arad gets into position at Marvel, and they begin to uh, source out these properties. You know, again, some of them already been had done so. But, um, but they began to... Uh, license out these properties to serious contenders to start really kicking things in. So it is, in 1997, Batman and Robin is basically the death knell for the superhero genre. Or so everyone thinks. And this is where, to me, superhero movies start to get really interesting. And... It's because of what Avi Arad and company did with the licensing rights for their properties. Now, no one has come along yet with this vision of a shared universe. In Batman, in Batman Returns, Bruce tells uh, Dick that when he goes to get in his, on his motorcycle and ride off, he's like, you need to lease gas up. You can't even get to Metropolis on what you got in that thing. And you're like, oh my gosh, he said Metropolis. This is amazing. What if Batman and Superman were in the same movie together? This could be great. And then in Batman Forever, you know, there's the throwaway line, this is why Superman works alone, you know, and it's made as a joke, but he mentioned Superman. And you think that's, that's as good as it could ever get. So you're not even thinking about crossovers and shared universes and everything. Oh, that happens in the Spider-Man cartoon, and, or that happens, you know, back in the old Spider-Man and his amazing friends. That's a Super Friends thing, you know. Uh, Batman and Superman have been together on the TV a little bit, you know, here and there, but... You know, we're not, it, it, this could never happen in, in 
live action. So we're not even thinking that, and neither was Marvel. They're just thinking, we've got to start making money off of these properties. We've got to start licensing out these properties to film companies that are going to take them seriously and make us money off of these things. So into the theaters sneaks Wesley Snipes in 1998, New Line Cinema, slips in Blade. Now, unless you're a hardcore comic fan at this time, you don't know that Blade is a comic book character. You just think it's a vampire killer movie. And it's not bad. You know, it it's kind of gory, it's action-packed, it, it's rated R, it's it's not you know, it, it it's not super big budget. It had a budget of 45 million dollars. It made uh 131 million dollars, you know, so it's successful. You know, it, it's made back almost three times what, you know, it, 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 it almost tripled its, its budget, you know, and what it made back. So you're, something was done right. Um, it, you know, it's commercial success. And unless you're a f- real hardcore, like I say, at this point, comic book fan, you don't quite get that Blade is, um, is a comic book movie. So, but it hits, and it hits well, and that's all Marvel needed. That got their foot in the door. So now Fox has the rights to X-Men. And this is, and see, I give credit to Blade for keeping the superhero comic book genre alive on the big screen. But it's not until the year 2000 when Brian Singer's X-Men comes to the screen. 20th Century Fox uh, is um, is the uh, is the distributor. Um, this is where the world was introduced on a huge stage to Hugh Jackman. Uh, of course, the, the cast is actually pretty amazing. Patrick Stewart in a role that he was obviously born to play. He's Charles Xavier. Uh, Ian McKellen is Magneto. Halle Berry is in this thing. She is, at this point, you know, a sought-after actress in Hollywood. People love her. Uh, Famke Jensen, who is a, who's a great actress, is is in this thing. James Marsden. Uh, Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Uh, Ray Park, who, for Star Wars fans like me, knew as Darth Maul. He comes in as Toad. Anna Paquin is there, and Anna Paquin, you know, is a great little actress. And so, you've got a solid cast of people in this thing playing their roles and and they take it seriously and get this part of the reason i really do think is because um of one of the producers one lauren um one lauren schuler donner um she she, along with like Avi Arad, uh, she got it. She got what it needed to be. And of course, Brian Singer, being an X Men fan, um, X Men fan, he got it as well. And they put together a solid movie on not the biggest budget in the world. And so, um, she. Or, or they did this thing, and and before you know it, people are kind of like, "Hey, now, what's what's this all about?" Um, 
you know, but but again, I really I really do think that producer Lauren Schuler Donner says, "Hey, you know what? My husband worked back in the day on a movie, and they just kept it real." Now they still didn't fully trust the superhero genre at this point, and and I remember a lot of people complaining about. Let me get this: seventy five million to make, almost three hundred million, two hundred ninety six million at the box office. So yeah, successful film. They still didn't trust it because there's the whole joke about what would you would you rather have yellow spandex because it's the black leather suits that all the X Men are wearing and that sort of thing. So they didn't trust the colorful costumes and that stuff, and that's fine. That is that is absolutely okay at this point, because you're still feeling like, even as a fan, you kind of buy the line. Yeah, I can see where people wouldn't dig this. Little did we know, maybe they will. There's still whispers out there about this Spider-Man movie. If you this time, you know the internet's kicking, and and you know we're just coming out of dial-up, starting to get into DSL, and so you're starting to be able to find news. Spider-ManHype.com, you know, before it was SuperheroHype.com, and all these different things, and, and there's still these whispers about this Spider-Man movie. And and for years through the 90s, James Cameron was attached. And after Titanic, man, James Cameron's still attached and all this other stuff. And it's... But then in 2002, man, that's when I really... It's when everything gets blown out. And it's from that first Spider-Man film, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Tobey Maguire, Willem Dafoe, uh, James Franco, Kirsten Dunst, um, it's a good movie. Do we like the Green Goblin's outfit? No, not particularly. But Spider-Man looks like Spider-Man. Danny Elfman does the score, and it has a little bit of Batman to it, you know. You're kind of like, oh, is Danny? Danny Elfman's better than this, isn't he? Um, but suddenly, with Spider-Man and X-Men, there is hope in the world again for superhero movies. And you're thinking, well, it, you know, okay, well, we've got at least two good movies that we can get out of each of these properties because the third movie always is the bad one. And we're basing that on the Batman franchise and the Superman franchise. <laughs> and you're thinking, well, we maybe got to... Meanwhile, Blade Two comes into theaters and it's not as, you know, it kind of gets overshadowed by Spider-Man that year. Spider-Man was very ambitious. It had a $139 million budget but it made $821 million in the theater. So uh, box office worldwide, that's huge. And this is where, to me, the superhero genre gets really interesting because now we're also hearing whispers of this Batman 4 or Batman 5. And it's like, oh my gosh, please don't do Batman. Please don't continue. How can you continue Batman after what they've done? Are they going to, what are they doing? Are they going to, Hadn't we had enough Batman? And you're thinking, could we get another Superman? You're thinking, there's so many other things we could have from DC. DC's just kind of not doing much over there yet. And then, and then Marvel movies just start like, all right, here we go. So in 2003, you get Daredevil. Very mixed reviews on Daredevil. And again, it's a lack of trust of the the material. Daredevil suffered very badly from editing. I think Ben Affleck was fine as Daredevil. This is obviously a character that he liked and enjoyed, and I think he he played it well. Jennifer Garner may not have been the greatest choice for Elektra, but I don't have it. But you're not going to get me to talk bad about Jennifer Garner. I think that you know she did fine for what it was. Um, uh, oh, what was it, Colin uh, Colin uh, Farrell as Bullseye? 
was creepy and weird. Michael Clark Duncan as the Kingpin was inspired. That was an inspired casting because of how big he was and he towered over everyone. Michael Clark Duncan was just great as the Kingpin of crime. And, and now we're in this world where it's like, okay, I see what they're trying to do. I see what, what's kind of happening here. And also remember Spider-Man had, they say that hero save us. I'm not going to stand here and wear a tie. So Daredevil had to have the Evanescence song. And you thought, okay, all these superhero movies now are going to have a pop song to go with them. But then also in 2003, X-Men 2 hits. And X-Men 2, I've not watched it in a while. Because I always forget, and th- but this is what happens to me. Every time I watch this movie, I'm sitting there thinking, I forgot how good this is. X-Men 2... I don't quite like it as a sequel as much as I like Superman 2, but that comes down to my proclivities of loving Superman more than the X-Men. But X-Men 2 is a fantastic sequel of a movie. And you have in it the hint slash promise of Jean Grey as the Phoenix at the end, you know. You have all this great stuff in there about the origins of Wolverine and, 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 oh my gosh. And remember they used in the trailer, they used the Mars piece from Holtz's planets and uh uh it was you know people i remember people cheering for wolverine when he goes nuts on those soldiers in the in the mansion but it was a good and, and so now you're feeling like oh my gosh look at what they're doing with nightcrawler look at these effects that they've got with him and and look at the story they're telling they're not really shying away 110 million dollar budget 407 million at the box office so X-Men's chugging along, okay, we still have that Spider-Man juggernaut that hit the year prior. And and now it's like Marvel is just on it. Even with Daredevil not being the most well-received, I just remember really digging it. And then and then in 2003, we got Ang Lee's Hulk. <clears throat> and this is where the cracks start to show up, I'm being honest. Universal still had the rights to the Hulk. Ang Lee was given this movie. But this is also, I want to say this, as much as I don't like Hulk, as directed by Ang Lee, starring Eric Bana, Jennifer Connelly, Sam Elliott, Josh Lucas, and Nick Nolte. Danny Elfman did the music, and Danny Elfman's music for Hulk was much different than any of his other superhero music. Um, I remember walking out of this movie really wanting to love it and being kind of weirded out that I didn't love it as much as I thought I would. This is the, here is the, uh, here's some music from Danny Elfman from the Hulk. I know this is a long episode, everybody, but I just, it's just examine this stuff. And it's just really, it's really amazing to see the evolution of these, of these movies. He doesn't, he never does his, you know, never goes that route like he did with Batman and Spider-Man. And, um, but what, but what he does is he does this, this great powerful music with a little bit of mystery to it. The whole Hulk is again, for me as a Hulk fan, as an incredible Hulk fan who loved Peter David stuff. And, 
And one of the things that made Peter David's stuff so good is Peter David really examined the psyche of the Incredible Hulk. In, in all of his, from I mean, from the time that he started, that he picked up that book, he really got into the mind of Bruce Banner versus the Hulk and that sort of thing. And so Ang Lee comes in and really wants to try to play into that. You know, um, the, the screenplay is credited to James Seamus, who also wrote the story, Michael France and John Terman. And, and they really did try to play off the, the psychological angle of the Hulk. And Ang Lee wanted to try something new, so he did panel um, transitions where it was almost like you were reading a comic book and that sort of thing. Here's the problem. It's not loud enough. Uh, everybody whispers. Um, the Hulk was weird in that he grew bigger when he got madder, you know? So it's not just the stronger, the matter Hulk gets, the stronger he gets. It's that he gets bigger. Um, Bruce Banner is played almost as too broken. And that's where, that's where you've got to be careful with the character of Bruce Banner to me. And it's something they've done the wrong way, I think, in in recent years in the comic books with Bruce Banner. I mean, all the way back to like, you know, uh, just before Planet Hulk and stuff is they play Bruce as a very broken individual. He's not broken, he's cursed. He's burdened very heavily with the weight of this creature that he becomes, but he's not, he personally is not messed up the way that He's he's emotionless, and and that's one of the things that the comics got into and explored even before the days of Peter David. Um, you know, he's he he comes from an abused childhood, lost his mother, his father accidentally murdered his mother, that sort of thing, and um, we get it. You get into that in the comics, and and you see that in the movie, and that's one of the things I really dug about this movie is they they weren't scared to go to that psychological level with him. It wasn't just you know. He's searching for a cure, you know, and he must control the beast within until he can find a cure, that sort of thing. But he 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 becomes the Hulk in a very, you know, it's not an explosion. It's a very quiet, just exposure to gamma radiation, you know, and and then he wakes up in bed, and I, it's it's a strange thing where it's like, come on, either throw all the way back to the TV show and do it the way they did it, or give us a gamma bomb, you know, and um, the cameos were very played down in this, you know, Stanley had had his cameos in the other movies already. And here it was just a real quick moment with, and even Lou Ferrigno was just kind of a throwaway. And I felt like he needed to be a little bit more respected than that. The Hulk was, you know, digital and everyone kind of made fun. So he looked a lot like Shrek there and, um, and almost too rubbery and too animated. But there's some great shots though. Some great, uh, there's some great digital work that ILM did with the Hulk um, in in this movie. All the good stuff was shown in the credits, though. All the good Hulk stuff was they showed in in not the credits in the in the trailers and everything. And so it becomes a little too cerebral for people, and it's really hard to ma- make out what's going on um, in that final battle with he and his dad. It just gets kind of weird, you know. And 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 they went a little too far with it. And uh, but man, Sam Elliott as General Thunderbolt Ross, Thunderbolt Ross is just genius casting, and it's unfortunate they couldn't go back to the well with him when they'd come back around to the Incredible Hulk later on. Um, so yeah, so that happened, and and I remember just going to see it, and we were in a, and and it's so funny to kind of look at the list and see where we're at in two thousand three, and and what has 
you know, the fact that it wouldn't be until 2004 that DC would throw Catwoman with Halle Berry out there. And that's just like, come on, really? Are you serious? But it really felt like we were in an age of um, incredible superhero movies. I mean, in 2000, you had Unbreakable. In 2004, you know, you'd have Hellboy. And, um, you know, we, we we had different things now that were being tried. But it already, I just remember feeling like, and basically also knowing what was coming based on what you were seeing on the internet and everything, you just felt like we're in a, it's an embarrassment of wealth as far as superhero movies go. Like, it's never going to get better than this. I can't believe it's this good. I can't believe we're getting all this stuff. Even though Hulk wasn't great. And even though I really struggled with if I like the Hulk or not, you know, um, you had things like X2 and Spider-Man and the first X-Men and, and you had Daredevil, which I really enjoyed. And then in 2004, you had the Punisher and the Punisher is one of those, again, I think it, you know, it falls along weird lines with people. It was, uh, uh, Thomas Jane as the Punisher was great. I thought John Travolta played a really good bad guy. Will Patton's in this thing. Um, it caused, it didn't make a lot of money at the box office. It didn't really hit with fans, but I, you know, as a Punisher movie, I liked it. I liked what they brought to the table with it. I love the song that the dude sits down and plays. There's that really cool moment where, where he's in a, he's in a cafe and some dude comes in and just, uh, strums his guitar <laughs> and just sits up there and plays this song. I can hear what you're thinking. And just stares at the Punisher. All your doubts and fears. And if you look in my eyes in time, you'll find the reason I'm here. And in time, all things shall pass away. In time, you may come back someday. But Punisher also has one. Then he looks at, he finishes singing. He's like, you like that song? I wrote it for you. But it also has one of the greatest lines of all time. After his family's been killed and they were down all, his whole family, not just his wife and children, mind you. But his whole family, extended family and everything, are in the Caribbean, and the mobsters find out that he was involved in this undercover sting on their business, and so they take out his entire family and leave him for dead. And some Caribbean healer man comes and helps nurse him back to health, and as he's headed back, he's he's going back to America, and, and the guy says, Vaya con Dios, my friend. Go with God. And Frank Castle turns around, looks at him and says, God's going to have to sit this one out. Oh my gosh, what a great line! But great lines do not great films make. Even though I enjoyed Punisher, I know that a lot of uh, fans and a lot of people didn't necessarily dig it. Uh, but all, but listen, that's fine, because this juggernaut would come along in 2004 and completely overshadow it. A little movie called Spider-Man 2. $200 million budget, 783 uh, almost $84 million at the box office. Dr. Octopus, who I considered all my life considered uh, the number one Spider-Man villain. I know that Green Goblin killed Gwen Stacy and everything, but I've always thought that Doc Ock was kind of the bizarro Spider-Man. Um, and, you know, and, uh, there's a good debate going on. I still say Spider-Man's rogues gallery um you know, if you take Batman, you, you know, you decide who Batman's top three or four are, Spider-Man's top three or four are just as good a foil for him 
as Batman's are for him. And I, I think their rogues galleries are very comparable. Uh, Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus in this movie was great. The arm technology they used for him and everything. And um, I love Spider-Man 2. I think it's a great movie. Uh, it's kind of weird how he psychologically does away with his powers and everything. But, you know, once he decides he's going to be Spider-Man, it's great. Of course, Mary Jane finds out at the end and everything that Peter's Spider-Man. And um, the, the problem with the Spider-Man movies that I saw at the time was you're killing off your bad guys. And and that was a mistake that I thought that the uh, Batman movies made, uh, with Joker dying and then the Penguin dying and Catwoman, you know, maybe dying, but we don't know if she'll ever come back. And they kill off uh, Two Face, and uh, and and so you just kind of you you think that those earlier movies that kind of killed the villains too quick. And in Spider Man, I felt the same way in these Spider Man movies. It just depended on if you were going to go for. Uh, or, to end the series, to have a definitive trilogy or definitive quadrilogy or however you wanted to do it, you know, if those villains are going to be killed, okay. But we've got to have an ending, you know, otherwise they need to be able to come back. So, I mean, Spider-Man 2 is great. I still don't think it's up there with Superman 2. For me personally, and again, this comes down to my heart of hearts and my emotions. But again, you're thinking this can't get any better than this. This cannot be... You can't beat this. You're just, I'm loving life. Blade Trinity comes out in 2004. Then 2005 is kind of one of those best of times, worst of times, because you have Elektra on the Marvel side, which is okay. It's not good. It's just not. It's it's definitely a thing where it's like, we got to rush this. We, you know, we've got to make sure we're getting all our money's worth out of this. Now, you know, now something's going on here with these characters where you're seeing the waters get muddied and you feel like we're going back to a time where they're not quite being as treated as well as you hope that they would be. You know, now you feel like maybe the studios are really getting into it a little too much. And this is 20th Century Fox now uh, distributing these. Um, but you have Electra, and you have the Fantastic Four. Now, understand what else was going on in 2005. And that is... Um, Revenge of the Sith has come out. But then DC and Warner Brothers goes ahead and gives us that fourth Batman, or that fifth Batman film, which is actually a reboot of the whole Batman franchise called Batman Begins. And this is where I thought everything changes. This is where I really believed with Batman Begins that we were headed to one of the most legendary moments in entertainment that we'll ever have. And I really thought that DC was about to unleash its legends on us, that Warner Brothers was about to unleash the legends of DC on us in a major way. I was not contemplating crossover. I was not contemplating shared universe, all that. But I thought they got Batman Begins was done so well that surely... Surely, um, they'll be able to do all these other superheroes well. Put a pin in that. The, this is the this is the world that we live in, where we're able to look at a Fantastic Four film that is subpar, that you know doesn't quite hit on all the cylinders that we want it to. Um, even though the casting is okay, I thought Jessica Alba's casting was a little bit off. 
Um, but we're able to look at that and see what they were able to do with those effects. The flame effects were amazing. Uh, the standout, of course, was Chris Evans as Johnny Storm. This is the this is John Ottman's. Yeah, it's okay. It's John Ottman's Fantastic Four theme. But then over over in Warner Brothers, they're like, well, oh, it was so. Um, it was really discouraging because you really wanted a Batman theme, but you never quite got it, did you? Got a lot of this. But somehow it worked, right? Somehow this worked in Batman Begins. Even though I wanted that theme, you know, but Hans Zimmer always said he has to earn his theme. And I guess this ended up being the theme. Bum, 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 bum. Hold on, here we go. Everyone sing it. Batman, 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 Batman. Man, Chris, uh, Christopher Nolan... Christian Bale as Batman, as Bruce Wayne. You had the the only bad part of Batman Begins was uh what's her face is Rachel Dawes. That's right, you better run. That's the only problem with Batman Begins. But now, and that's the thing, in, in this part of 2000, from 2000 to about 2007, it's this world where it's like, all right, so we're gonna get just moments of greatness like X-Men 2, like Spider-Man 2, like Batman Begins. We're going to get the mediocre, like Fantastic Four and and Hulk and Punisher, and then we're going to get maybe some abysmal stuff like Elektra. In 2007, we get Ghost Rider and Spider-Man 3, which are not really good at all. Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer is better than the original Fantastic Four two years prior, but it still has its problems. And you're just thinking, okay, this is kind of where we're going to exist now. And this is that kind of, here's the thing. I really, truly believe that had it not been for those seven years from 2000 to 2007 of playing with the Super Fantastic Four, we started to get those suits. The Spider-Man suit was right on. Batman, they did this thing where they made it like so real and you could believe everything. And then they brought out this microwave emitter that... If you think about it too hard, you realize it doesn't work, but then you're able to suspend your disbelief because everything else has been done and explained so well, and it's been done so earnestly. But it's not overly serious. There are jokes in it, you know? Like when when uh, when Michael Caine, when Alfred picks up Bruce at the airport, you know, and he's like, um, you know, we've got to bring you back from the dead, and... And he's like, well, it's a good thing I left everything to you. And he's like, you can borrow the rose if you want. Just bring it back with gas in it. Um, you know, there's they, they have a rapport with each other. And they're funny. And it's good. And there's the whole touching stuff of why do we fall? To, so we can learn to pick ourselves up. And, and you just think, man, it's just not going to get better than this. 2006 also gave us Superman Returns. And this is where you've got to be careful with people because Superman Returns, I think, has aged better than people thought it would. 
I've talked a lot about Superman Returns on this podcast, and, and I don't want to get too much into it now because this podcast has already gone so long. On This episode has already gone so long. Um, and so I, I apologize for just kind of droning on and on, but I just really, I wanted to get my thoughts out about this stuff. So 2006, you've got Superman. And, and listen, Superman Returns was going to be it. It was going to be the thing. I refuse to get excited. There have been so many stops and starts with Superman movies. You had the J.J. Abrams script that had leaked, you know, where Lex Luthor ends up being a Kryptonian and the Superman suit comes out of a can or something like that. I don't know. And and it just seemed like they were never going to do it. You had the whole, back in the 90s, you had the whole Superman Lives thing where Nicolas Cage was going to be Superman and the S-Shield was going to be like knives, form knives. And that's what it's like, please don't do this. And it was just not going to... And then you started hearing these things and you started seeing these things where Superman Returns and it's going to be kind of a sequel to Superman 2 and it's... You know, it's it's going to be this internet where he's gone away, and and uh, and I remember John Ottman saying, "We're going to use the original theme, but that's about all we're going to use from John Williams. Everything else." And then I remember seeing a clip online because I was still stupid and watching all the clips that they would put out, <laughs> and it's the one where he goes to change in the elevator. And they play the basically the cue from, um, from the helicopter scene in in Superman the movie. And I and I welled up. I I got teary eyed because it felt like everything was going to be okay, you know, as far as Superman. And I'm like, they did it with Batman, and now they're about to do it with Superman. And I remember sitting down. And the Warner Brothers logo does this number. Listen to listen to it at the end. Here and it went dun, 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 dun. And then they opened up on a on a weird title card with nothing but white words. I'm like, what? And what they originally wanted was someone to read a comic like the original Prelude did in Superman the movie. Um, but then they hit this. I'm like, I didn't think we were going to get the Krypton fan for what? I thought we were just going to get the Superman theme. What does this mean? What does this mean? This is amazing. I'm weeping right now. Look, it's Krypton. You can see Krypton. We're here. This is beautiful. This is the greatest thing. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy right now. There's a choir singing the Krypton theme! Oh, it's beautiful! Someone give me a Kleenex! Oh, this is gorgeous! Oh, this is the greatest day of my life! Superman is back! Superman is back! And they had built up this whole thing, man. They had the documentaries. They had all these specials on. Oh, Superman was back! Oh, here we go! We're gonna fly through space with words! Fly through space, it's like Star Wars, but not quite. It's kind of, they're blue and they're hollow and they're coming at you. Oh, yes! Yes! Superman! Superman is back! <laughs> hey, shut up, Fanny! Sit down! I'm trying to watch a movie up here! 
that's how I felt as as the movie was coming on. And oh man. Oh, it was just it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was so much fun. And and look, this movie is it's a beautifully shot movie. Brian Singer and and they did a great job with this movie. And I, they were a little too beholden to the Donner stuff. The whole Superman had a kid thing was was a little off-putting. Superman was a little overly obsessed with Lois Lane, and I feel like the Lois Lane casting was a very poor choice. Um, but I also like that Superman never tried to make Lois's boyfriend, I forget his name now off the top of my head, played by James Marsden, Cyclops, he never tried to make him look bad. And, and that dude could do whatever Superman needed to do, and it wasn't until they absolutely needed Superman that he had to come through and save them. Um, they did a great job of this is a job for Superman stuff in this movie. Man, the bullet to the eye was great, you know, when he stops the robbery. But that, um, when he saves the plane, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> they didn't get a shirt rip. They had to go back in and, and get a get him ripping the shirt. And so it's just real blink and you miss it kind of stuff. But, oh, man, the whole playing, the whole saving the plane. And then when they land and everyone starts cheering, you know, he does the whole, you know, statistically speaking, it's still the safest way to fly. You're just like... I mean, all the throwbacks were... Just, it's 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 kind of like The Force Awakens of Superman movies in that it's continuing a story, but it, it still has so many great throwbacks and everything. And it's so wonderfully and beautifully shot. And, you know, he's the brightest thing on screen. And he's, and Brandon Routh was just so perfect. And then this moment when he steps out, y'all, I still get choked up. And the crowd goes nuts. Come on. When he steps out and that little boy just hollers, Superman! You know, it's like they remember him and they love him. And it's everything that Superman's supposed, Superman's supposed to be loved. It's supposed to be huge. It's supposed to be this great big deal. He's supposed to be loved by millions and cheered by people when he does something incredible that no one else could do. He saved the day when no one else can. He came back just as we needed him. And now, here we are in this baseball stadium. We just saw the most amazing thing ever, and Perry White is blown away, and everyone's just shocked and amazed. But uh, I don't know. I guess some of the plot points and stuff just fell flat. It's Superman versus an island. You know, the, the criticisms that people have levied at this, outside of he didn't punch anything, I think are kind of legit. But I also think that, it, that as happens with internet culture, and superhero fandom culture, they, things got taken a little too far in the hatred of this film. I would have loved to have seen a sequel to this movie. Um, I would have loved to spend more time with Brandon Routh as Superman. I, I think that he did a great job. Uh, however, it was not to be, you know. But you did see, again, it's that thing where it's like, you know, there just seems to be some cracks with people getting the Superman story and doing it right. And so that's 2000, that's up to 2007, that was 2006, then as we said in 2007, 
you've got those things on the Marvel side of things, and you just think, well, this is as good as it gets. This is what it's going to be. And, okay, you know, it's more than I could have ever asked for as a kid. It's more than I could have ever wanted as a comic book fan. In, in, in nine years' time, we were given uh, from t- 1998 with Blade to 2007 <clears throat> with Fantastic Four, The Rise of the Silver Surfer. We were given 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, if you count V for Vendetta, even though it's a comic book movie, not a superhero movie in 2006, uh, 17, 18, 19. If you count Constantine in 2005, 20. Even if you count Catwoman, 21. We were given 21 movies over the, over the course of like nine years. 21 movies based on superheroes. Some to much more success than others. And it was... It, <sighs> I'm trying to be kind with mediocre, but in a lot of ways, it was really feast or famine as far as your superhero films went. You know, uh, X-Men 3, The Last Stand was in 2006. I forgot that. And that's divisive. X-Men, The Last Stand is really the reason there is a Goliverse. So we have to give it its props because that's when I drew the line in the sand and I was tired of all the hate online. I was just absolutely done. I'd lived through all the prequel hate and I'd actually enjoyed X-Men The Last Stand, and it was just getting shredded. I do see the problems with it. I feel like they should have gone with one storyline or the other, you know, whether you're going to eradicate the mutants or do the Dark Phoenix, but don't do both. Um, but I still enjoyed it for what it was and, and really kind of came away like, and I still like it. So that's one I have rewatched. and like, oh, yeah, I, I did like this. Um, but ultimately... 21 movies, all superhero comic book genre in nine years. Now, that's just Marvel and DC. I got away from these others. So let me real quick. uh, I mentioned Unbreakable, which is kind of a superhero movie, you know. Uh, It's in Night Shyamalan's superhero movie. So that's 22. Hellboy in 2004, 23. Sky High was a Disney movie about superheroes in 2005. I'll call that a superhero movie. 24. If we go back to the Zorro things, you had The Legend of Zorro, which was a follow-up to uh, 98's Mask of Zorro. So let's count Mask of Zorro in 98. So Mystery Man in 99. So where was that? 24, 25, 26. Um, I'm really trying, I, really trying to be super fair and not call things that aren't superhero movies or we might not count as superheroes. So, look, 26 in nine years? What, what more can you ask for? You know? It was an amazing time. But then it's... But then something happened in that space. Um, and I want to make sure I get it just right when this happened because I remember it happening and I remember seeing uh seeing this go down <clears throat> online because something happens here momentarily <coughs> but not before we get through 2008 now 2008 the 
the Goliverse has started up. Geek Out Loud is going strong. Um, Smallville's on the little screen. And I declared in 2008, leading into 2008, that 2008 was going to be the biggest geek year since 1989 when we had Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Batman, uh, 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 there was Ghostbusters 2. There, there, was, there was a big geek push in 89, it seemed like. Um, genre push. And I remember declaring that 2008 is going to be the biggest movie for geeks since 1989. And that's because we got Punisher Wars on at the end of the year, and it basically went unnoticed. I've still not seen this. I hear it's not bad, but it's just not great. Um But there was a movie come out that I did not expect much out of because I never really cared for the character that much in the comics. And it's a movie starring Robert Downey Jr., directed by John Favreau. <coughs> uh, under the newly minted Marvel Studios banner, distributed by Paramount in association with Paramount Studios. Of course, I'm talking about Iron Man. At the end of that movie, at the end of the credits, we were all told, stay to the end of the credits. And at the end of the credits, Tony Stark's walking into his house. Jarvis is, welcome home. And as you know, there's Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. And he says, I want to tell you about the Avengers Initiative. Now, this is in the midst of a time when Avengers the Initiative was a comic book title. So that's why they use that term. It's hard to believe that no one remembers Avengers Initiative. That was right around the time of secret, uh, not secret wars, secret invasion, and all that good stuff happening in the comics. So suddenly there's this thing of, oh my gosh, are they going to do, are, what? A vi- what? Are we going to see Iron Man show up in other movies? Well, also that year was a movie that some of you don't like that much. And, and I feel like it suffered because of 2003's Hulk. But it's under the banner of Marvel Studios, Distributed by Universal Pictures, The Incredible Hulk, starring Ed Norton, starring um, uh, Liv Tyler. Man, what a, I love this movie. I love The Incredible Hulk, and and I it's a movie that brought tears to my eyes. Tim Roth is in this thing. William Hurt plays uh, General Thunderbolt Ross. And they did a beautiful cameo by Bill Bixby as he's flipping, as, as Ed Norton is flipping channels, as Bruce Banner's flipping channels in, in Brazil. And, uh, and he comes across um, uh, my, my son, Eddie, or gosh, what's the name of the show that he was in before Hulk? Anyhow, <coughs> and I just thought it was beautiful. I thought it was a beautiful way to have a Bill Bixby cameo, even though he had passed. Um, they treat the Lou Ferrigno cameo great. Lou Ferrigno does the voice of the Hulk. I'm sorry, I had to take a sip of water. <clears throat> I love this movie so much. Uh, Craig Armstrong does the music, and 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 the and the the Hulk music. The theme sounds like. Um, Sounds like a Hulk theme. I mean, it, it, it does. 
Like it, it's kind of bold, it's lumbering, you know, but it's strong. Um, I don't know if this is the one that beats in, if it goes into a beat or not. You know, it's it's there's nothing super fancy about it. It's just a few notes, and it's it's that deep brass that really gets you. <clears throat> you know, you can kind of feel. You feel the disorientation of changing. You feel the, as I said, the bigness of it. The, there's 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 some there's some discomfort with what's going on. And you hear that bass come in. So, and here comes the, I mean, here comes the real change. Everything was power under control there for a minute. It's like it was there just waiting to come out. But Craig Armstrong's theme is, is really good. His music is really good in this movie. There, there's a love theme that they have that is just really great. That he makes it's really great. But he does, he does something in this movie that to me just gave him a pass on the whole score you know it's still a very modern sounding score it's still you know it's not that you're not you're not going to write home about what it was as far as like a, a superhero thing goes but here we go it's called bruce goes home right there And he goes right into his own situation there. And so this movie is all about being on the run. He's trying to find that cure. It's everything you need Bruce Banner to be doing. The Hulk happens three times, you know, in this movie. Really four, if you count the time on the table where you get to actually see it happen. Um, and, and they kind of follow the the formula, as far as that goes, of Hulk. Um, and... And I don't know that this movie gets enough credit for being as good as it is because it's not a bad movie. It's got the action. It's got the adventure. Ed Norton looks weird, you know. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, I love it so much. But something happens at the end that was supposed to be, I think it was supposed to be a post-credit sequence, but they put it in the movie so they could actually promote this going on. And I think they did it because they knew people are going to stay away because of that other Hulk movie. And they showed Robert Downey Jr. Uh, showing up in this movie as Tony Stark uh, in some previews and TV spots and stuff. So, so you have suddenly we've connected two movies. We've connected the Hulk, and we've connected uh, uh, Iron Man. Uh, over on the Guardians of the Goldiverse Facebook page, um, I think it was Christopher Lutz, pointed out that he thought he saw the Stark Tower being built. And I, I've mentioned this before. I haven't really gone back and looked on my big screen. I just saw it on my phone, and I could see where he would say that based on what I saw on the phone. Also, anyhow, you also had S.H.I.E.L.D. mentioned here and everything. So we're, we're now starting to connect this year. And by now we know that they're wanting to do the Avengers. We know that this is something Kevin Feige has now stepped in. He's running Marvel studios and, um, 
And so over in Warner Brothers, though, Christopher Nolan hits us with The Dark Knight. And y'all, that's a perfect movie for me until the last 15 minutes. I don't like that they killed off Two-Face, but, I'm, but you know what? It's fine. I, I didn't make the movie, and I couldn't have made that movie. I, had, I could not make that Batman movie. Heath Ledger gives a, an iconic performance as the Joker. It is a movie that crossed across all audiences, you know, because it worked almost as much as a crime drama as it did a superhero film. Um, the creation of Two-Face was fantastic. That, I think the reason I'm disappointed they killed off Two-Face is because I wanted to spend more time with him. I really wanted to see what Aaron Eckhart could do, um, given, you know, more time to really chomp into that role and get into the insanity of that character. Um but man, this this movie, Dark Knight, you're talking about a film that made one billion dollars at the box office. Uh, the first superhero movie to do that. You know, I mean, that's huge. And it deserves every accolade it gets. It deserves every uh, credit that it gets from people who love this movie. And it is, uh, it is some, <clears throat> and, and I'd never, and, is, and, and for all my qualms, I've been really harsh on this movie, probably overly harsh on this movie in years past, just because of, of my disappointment with The Dark Knight Rises. Um, but I, it's a great movie. You know, and there are people who will pick apart the way Nolan edits things, and it doesn't make sense. The editing makes sense, but when you're watching the movie, you don't think about that. You know, your your mind, like people are like, well, your mind can't do this. Well, mine mine did. It did it fine. You know, there's a lot of quick cuts from day to night and that sort of thing. But look, it doesn't matter. It's just a really good movie with a great story, and suddenly. We've got over here... Now we're beginning to be able to dream about what DC and Warner Brothers can do if they'll get their stuff together and do it. Because Marvel is starting something that there's no telling how far it can go. 2009 is a little weak. We get X-Men Origins Wolverine, which I didn't have a problem with uh, based on you know the fact that I'm not super married to that character like some people are. But over on the... Uh, the, the Warner Brothers side, <clears throat> we get uh, The Watchmen. Now, I'm not a fan of The Watchmen's story. I, I don't like what Alan Moore did in The Watchmen. I'm not a fan of that story. But that movie is one of the most faithful adaptations of a comic book uh, on the big screen that you'll ever see in your life. And Zack Snyder did it, and, and I think that Watchmen is one of the reasons that Snyder was given later on Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, that sort of thing. I think that that what he did worked for Watchmen very well. Um, understand that if I don't like the Watchmen, it's not because I don't think the movie is well made or a good adaptation. It's because Watchmen is not what I want out of a superhero film. Um, 2010, all we got from Marvel Studio, well, all we got. All we got from Marvel Studios was Iron Man 2. And Iron Man 2 has mixed reactions from people. I love it. I think it's got it. To me, Iron Man 2 had one of the great best, had the best end fight sequence of just about any movie, any superhero movie ever. Because a lot of times what happens in these superhero movies, well, The Incredible Hulk did too. 
But a lot of times what happens in these superhero movies is you get a lot of action in the middle and the, and the end fight kind of leaves you a little wanting, you know? Uh, well, here in Iron Man, but you think about Batman, his big, his big showdown with the Joker takes place at the party and then later on in prison. And then, you know, it's all chase scenes and stuff until he goes and finds Joker with the radar and you've got the boats out in the Harbor and all that stuff going on. And, um, and it's more of a track them down, chase them scene more than it is a big action piece superman's pushing an island up fantastic four rise of several certainly the problem with a lot of these is you get to their end sequence and it's just you've had to kind of trudge through what's come before you know <clears throat> but with iron man 2 you got full-on like i mean just flying around shooting at everybody and everything i really like iron man 2 but they but iron man 2 was also kind of them making sure that they could connect every other piece after that so you get phil colson back uh, Sam Jackson has a bigger role. Um, you know, they're really setting up Iron Man to kind of be the backbone of the Marvel Universe, or so you think. Uh, and then in 2011, Thor comes into play. I love Thor. We've talked about this before. X-Men First Class is a fine movie. It is It is absolutely a, a, it's a fine movie when it comes to Superman or superhero stuff. Uh, over in, in 2011, Green Lantern hits for Warner Brothers, or I say it hits, it, they released it. Um, I think it was a disappointment for a lot of people. And, and, and you know, rightfully so. Um, it, had a, it had some good stuff to it, but Ryan Reynolds, as charming as he is and as great as he is, I, I think that as Hal Jordan, he didn't quite fly. I think he would have been a better Kyle Rayner, and, and, and I've said that before. But you see what started to happen here is is... In some ways, and two, they give him that like digital costume and everything, which I thought was kind of maybe not the smartest. I, but who am I? <clears throat> we missed Jonah Hex in 2010, which came and went faster than Superman 4. But, but kind of what's happening, I think, at Warner Brothers is they just can't seem to get... It felt like they couldn't get anything off the ground for a couple of years. I, you, you kind of wondered... There were all the rumors about a Justice League movie that was going to be like younger, different people and all this stuff. And it's like... Why are you doing this? Why can't you? And I and I began to say, do what Marvel is doing. Do what Marvel is. That's when I began my mantra. Just do what Marvel's doing. Unashamedly and unabashedly, just do what Marvel's doing. That's what they always did in the comic book industry way back in the day. But hey, we need a team book. All right, well, I'll create the Fantastic... Because Justice League is doing so well at DC. Well, okay, here's the Fantastic Four. Hey, team books are really good. Give me something else. Okay, here's the X-Men. Um, you know, hey, they're doing a big crossover. What have we got? All right, well, let's do this. You know, and... And so, do that in the movies, and I think you'll be okay. And and but there is this thing of well, we don't want to creatively mess up and do that kind of stuff. But see, now we're in a new era because Captain America in two thousand eleven, the first Avenger comes out. Ghost Rider, of course, still at this time was on uh, under the it came out under the Marvel Knights banner. It was not part of the MCU. It was Columbia Pictures, but now they've since got Ghost Rider back under the MCU banner. He's been in. Uh, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. successfully, I might add. Captain America the First Avenger gave me back something, though, that I had been missing um, in my superhero movies for years. Um, it gave me this.
Sing it along, everybody. Sing along. Captain America. Here comes Captain America. He's got a shield that he throws. He has wings on his head. And he will win the war. So... Captain America the First Avenger comes out, and a lot of people were saying, hey, this is the best Marvel movie ever. This is the best. It was good. I don't think that I, I don't think it's my favorite Marvel movie to this point when they came out, but I love that Alan Silvestri gave us a theme for our hero. It was something that we didn't quite get in any of these other movies, and not nothing recognizable like that, and it just felt so good. Well... Man, I, I we we kind of need to stop. I don't. I gotta stop just reading off titles because here's here's the thing that I find interesting is that in an effort to pull itself out of bankruptcy, Marvel began to parse out all these rights, and the right people got a hold on them. They started winning the right court battles and everything, and before you know it these characters are making money again for Marvel like they hadn't in a long time. Um, you know, unfortunately, Marvel as an independent company, uh, I think they were publicly traded, but you know what I mean. They they made some mistakes in their merchandising choices and their licensing choices, and it took someone like Avi Arad to come along and and start to... He had worked on some of the cartoon stuff, and that's the other thing. You, you know, we have to talk. But to to really get these characters out on the big screen in a way that mass audiences could see them. In spite of what had happened in 1997 with Batman and Robin and Steel. In spite of what had happened in the early 90s with Captain America and the unreleased Fantastic Four and Punisher in 1986, Howard the Duck in spite of what had gone on even in their TV movies, you know, which uh, the, I like The Incredible Hulk Returns. The Trial of the Incredible Hulk was okay. Uh, the Death of the Incredible Hulk is just not good. Their Nick Fury Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. made-for-TV movie 98 was horrible. Um, you know, in spite of all of that, you know, they they started to get some quality stuff out there. And again, Feast or Famine by the hyperbolic standards of the internet, but so vital and good for fans because these characters were getting out there and being put in front of new generations of superhero fans and getting put, you know, Spider-Man had kind of gotten lost in the shuffle because of Batman, you know, uh, and, and the success that Batman had in the late eighties into the nineties a little bit. And, and, and suddenly he's back with a vengeance. When you get to when you get to Marvel Studios finally forming their own thing and keeping the rest of their characters that they could under their own banner, you have Iron Man show up and do something that I thought was impossible. Iron Man became a household name because of the films. Iron Man was a second tier character in the Marvel pantheon at best. He was one of the original Avengers, sure, but as far as recognizability goes to the common individual he just wasn't there um you know 
But then in 2009, Disney buys Marvel and and gives Marvel the freedom to continue to do this with the Disney marketing machine behind it. Now, they still had some things they had to work out with um, <clears throat> Paramount. So actually, the first Avengers movie has the Paramount logo, uh, I think, at the start. I think they, they, they it opens with the Paramount logo. But after that, it's off to the races for Disney. Um and, and there's still these old contracts to deal with in perpetuity and that sort of thing. And there's licensing at theme parks, you know, so you can still go to Universal Studios and have the Marvel area there. And it's kind of weird when you think about it, but and it looks very 90s in some instances. But I'm telling you, had Marvel Studios and even Warner Brothers not had they just looked at 97's Batman and Robin Steel and said, well, that's done, we would have been relegated to cool, maybe some cool cartoons here and there, you know, because the Justice League cartoon was had been airing, and it was great, you know, and Justice League Unlimited, and, you know, the Batman animated series is one of the seminal works in, in superhero history. That's, that's a show worth going through episode by episode, to be honest with you. I love the Superman animated series from the 90s, you know, uh, the, the Bruce Tim, the Tim verse, as they call it. Um, but what we were shown in that time is with each progressive movie is what moviegoers would like. And, and people like Kevin Feige began to watch the trends and learn where they could push the line and do things. So that by the time you get to like X-Men first class, um, they're putting yellow in the costumes, you know, things are starting by the time you get to, uh, to the Watchmen, they're just doing basically without the giant squid, they're doing a full on adaptation, you know, like the comic, the, those characters look like they stepped right out of the pages of the comic book, you know? Um, and so that this past year, when you get justice league, they trust these characters, you know, it, it's almost like they're learning. They learn finally to trust these characters again. Marvel cannot seem to, Marvel Studios cannot seem to fail. Now, we could talk about um, Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2, and we could talk about some of those X-Men movies and stuff. But ultimately, you know, you can talk about, wow, Fantastic Four from 20th Oh, my gosh, it was horrible. But what they've learned is trust these characters, trust stories with these characters, but what an interesting we it's almost like a blind spot for so many fans because what we look at is what we're getting and and what's coming next and we want to know the next thing and the next thing like people have already declared that black panther is a great movie so let's move on and and so they'll start declaring the next movie really good before they ever see it they declare if it's going to be good or not and then they move on well what's next so it's almost like we don't even have to see the movie you show us a trailer oh it's going to be awesome next you know, and then something like The Last Jedi comes along and trips up a certain sector of fandom, and, and we're like, well, we got to stick around here for a minute and hash all this out with, you know, torches and pitchforks. But <clears throat> whoever thought we'd see Doctor Strange on the big screen? The Guardians of the Galaxy has no business being as popular as it is. Groot has no business being known by the masses. But he is, you know. Um, Drax is not a name that 
common fans, that's common, the, the general public should know, but it is because they begin to trust these characters because I really believe that there's something about superheroes when they're done well and done right that appeal to everybody. Superheroes are not meant to be deconstructed into their base parts and torn down and made to be like us, normal people. Superheroes are meant to have the powers they have, have the drives that they have, and to constantly fight the darkness regardless of the odds. Because that's what inspires. That's what causes us to say, I want to be a good person the way Captain America is or the way Superman is. Or I'm not, I keep messing up, but I want to be good. And so I really relate to Tony Stark and he keeps on, so I'm going to keep on, you know? Or I have a father who is, wants me to be something that I don't think I can be. So I really understand where Thor's coming from. Or, you know what, I was a real jerk. I was an arrogant jerk, and, and I had to be humbled. And so I really get the story of Thor. Or I had some tragedy in my life that really, really messed me up. And I want to, because of that, make the world a better place so no one ever has to experience what I experience. And that's what I dig about Batman. Or... You know what? All my life I've been told I can't and I'm not good enough because I'm a girl. Or, you know, I've been felt like I've been kind of pushed to the side because people see me as different or weird. And so Wonder Woman really inspires me because she is good and kind and heroic and powerful. But she still is feminine and she's still, uh, it's okay for her to love ice cream. But but she still leads the way out into the battlefield, you know. Um, hey, this group of friends, we're all so different from one another, but we came together to do something great, you know, like the Justice League or or like the Avengers, you know. Or there's a monster inside of me that I have to keep contained and or have to learn how to use the best way possible. And, you know, I had to tame that monster, you know, like the Hulk. Um, that's what superheroes press us to do that even with their flaws they their flaws do not define them what defines them is the victory over their flaws and it's okay to have a flawed character it's okay to not be perfect but it's not okay for that to be what marks you as a as an individual and it's not okay that that's what would mark these heroes you see your flaws are what mark your villains a villain is just a superhero who reacted to a very bad day the wrong way. And even though they may think they're right, they're not. And somewhere in <clears throat> the late 90s into the 2000s, and I blame Smallville for some of this, we started to turn the villain on its head. We took the whole idea of the villain thinks they're right and made it, well, the villain is right. They're just doing one or two wrong things. And the superhero, if they would give the villain a chance... The villain could rehabilitate to the point that we've had comics where the villains end up being the good guys. You know? And is that a reflection of society? I don't know. 
you know, I'm not here to preach about anything. But I am saying that there's a reason that in every decade since the 1940s, there's been at least one superhero movie in that decade. And there's a reason that movies like Superman, the movie, did so well for itself, became such a classic for itself. In 1978, it made $300 million. That's not too shabby. I'm not going to do the adjustment for inflation right now, but look, that's, that's a big deal. But you think about it. That's a pretty staggering thing that these characters and these, these people wearing tights have made a difference. Uh, in, in the psyche of this country, in the psyche of pop culture. It's, and I think it's because they matter. I think it's because when done right, a superhero brings something meaningful to the table. So, you know, I would... I, I, there are a few movies that I'd like to go back and revisit that I haven't seen in a while. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. I think I'd like to sit down and watch Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. Um... Hadn't watched them in a while. Haven't watched X-Men 2 in a while. Um, I haven't watched Fantastic Four, The Rise of the Silver Surfer in a while. I think I'd like to watch that, you know. Um, I haven't watched Batman Begins in a long time. Or The Dark Knight. I think I'd like to sit down and watch those movies again, you know, and kind of revisit them. As I'm revisiting these other movies on the way to Avengers Infinity War. Now, Avengers Infinity War comes out um, in uh, when does this come out? When is this released? In May. So and, and we've got Black Panther before we get to Infinity War. Um, but uh, you know, beyond that what is to come? I, I'm kind of as I look as we look ahead to what's going on Beyond that, of course, we've got the follow-up to Infinity War, which is going to be... They, it's not going to be Infinity War Part 2. They said it's going to, it's got a different title, and if they release the title right now, it'd be kind of spoilery. But between now and then, you've got uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp and Captain Marvel um, are really the only MCU films that are slated to happen by then. I think what we may see is the death of Tony Stark. Um, we may see some of these other characters kind of go away. We've started to kind of see the breakdown of that after Civil War, and everyone's kind of going their own separate ways, and they're going to have to be brought back together. It would not surprise me to see the void left by a Tony Stark if he's gone, a Captain America if he's gone. It would not surprise me to see that void filled by the likes of Reed Richards, Sue Richards, Johnny Storm, and Ben Grimm, The Thing. Um, and <clears throat> it would not surprise me if, if we can get the Fantastic Four under that Marvel Cinematic Universe banner to see the next big come together thing for everybody to be a story about Galactus, um, you know, or something cosmic. Apparently when we get to, uh, Captain Marvel, we're going to see some of the Kree Scroll War stuff, and so we could get into some of that. It's just there's a lot of neat things that could happen beyond this. 
and and that's the thing is that I, I really think that these movies can go on for a while without us getting too tired out on on them. Um, I, I really think that that there is a, there I think there is an end to it, and I, and I think that, but I think as long as they're good, we're going to keep going. I think Warner Brothers has kind of suffered. Uh, from mixed reviews of things like Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, everybody loved Wonder Woman for different reasons. Uh, Justice League is a little bit divisive from fo- from folks, um, but you know we we got to give them a chance. You know you got Aquaman coming out; it's supposed to be coming out this year, um, which could get really interesting. Uh, hopefully, we'll be seeing a, a trailer. Um, for that soon there was a oh i hadn't seen this there was a first look in march uh last year shown i think i have seen bits and pieces of that but it's scheduled to be released december of this year so you know that could tell the tale that could be the thing you know what what it has however they handle aquaman could be the big thing for warner brothers and dc movies um of course we're going to be following it and talking about it as we go forward but I just think that I'm telling you, if Warner Brothers can get it together and start to consistently put out some good stuff, I want to see Henry Cavill in a Superman movie as the Superman we got to see in Justice League with the world cheering him on the way that they do in Superman Returns when he comes back. I want to see, um, I want to see the camera held steady, you know, and I want to see them give the same sincerity to you will believe a man can fly that Richard Donner did using all of the power of the technology we have today to make it so real and so good. I, you know, um, on the Marvel side, sincerely, I can't ask for anything else than what Marvel has already given us as a Marvel cinematic universe. And if infinity war two is kind of it, you know, for, for good superhero movies coming out of Marvel for, you know, Marvel Studios uh, for a while, then then that is what it is. And and I will accept it and be grateful that I lived through a time where I got to read my comic books on a movie screen in motion with real-life people in costumes that looked like they stepped right off the page, not something that was not trusted because, well, it's too yellow or no one would buy this or, you know, I... I say, what more could a geek ask for? And I guess that's kind of what Geek Out Loud is all about. It's all about the idea of the embarrassment of riches we have when it comes to this kind of stuff, that we're able to sit and talk about, you know, the ninth theatrical Star Wars film in Episode Eight, and we're able to complain about the fact that we don't have a trailer for a Han Solo movie yet. And we're able to go to a bookshelf that's full of novels that have to do with some of our favorite characters and comics that take us on adventures that we could never go on in the real world. And so we're able to lose ourselves in those things. And, and I think that that's what we celebrate on Geek Out Loud is just the whimsy and the joy of a Hulk smash. Or this is a job for Superman. Or... 
a little person running along a knife that's just been thrown at him and sprouting wings and shooting blasters at someone and and then a laugh to be had while someone says, oh, you didn't have that technology when you gave me the suit. Oh, yeah, I had it. I guess the thing is, is when I, when I hear Hulk say Hulk smash or I see Thor, you know, sling his hammer around and take out a bunch of demons. When I see, uh, when I see a tree beat the crap out of some people, you know, I just, I'm like, wow, who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it back when Matt Salinger was throwing his shield around or back in the seventies when that, when we, or back in the eighties when we'd finally find a videotape with that old Captain America TV movie on it and the shield was clear or we'd see it replayed on TBS or Lou Ferrigno was painted up green and kind of ripping a shirt off or who'd have thought that we'd have this kind of stuff today and I don't know just kind of makes me happy as a little geek inside of me it does take me back to my childhood so I hope that uh, I hope that what we'll do moving forward is just find enjoyment in the things we enjoy and leave to the side the things we don't because there were 26 superhero movies come out between 1998 and 2007 and we weren't even into shared universe territory yet. That's a big deal. Well, if you want to support the shows, we've got our links back up at geekoutonline.com. Head over there and use the Amazon links. We've got some new uh, affiliates there in the person in the in the uh, in the businesses of Fiverr and the WWE Shop and the WWE Network. Um, use those links to do your shopping at Entertainment Earth and Think Geek on Fandango. All those places. You'll find links at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. If you want to support the shows directly, we encourage you to go to patreon.com slash geekoutloud. And uh, we appreciate everyone who supports there. Remember, if you've ever supported, please shoot me an email uh, with the superpower you were given. And we'll be sure to uh, to get that wall of fame built back up again. Because, you know, it's, you, know, you want it. If you're gonna if you're gonna have a, if you're gonna have a wall of fame, you gotta have it built up, you know, and you got to do you gotta do right by the people, and you are the people. You are the greatest podcast listening audience in the universe. Oh, there's one thing I forgot to do. Daggummit. Um You wanna head to Facebook.com right now, search Guardians of the Goliverse, join the group. Now you'll be asked a couple of questions to kind of verify your bona fides. And uh, you may want to jump in on a fun little thread that's going on that was posted by Christopher Lutz on January 23rd. And it's GIF you know. Post a GIF that has something to do with the GIF before it. So right now I'm just going to... Um, the music's going to stop, by the way. And uh, that's just going to have to be okay. You know what? I'm going to pull this down and just stop it right now. Um, the... Uh, the GIF has to have something to do with the GIF before it. Like in Uno, like you can lay down the same color or a matching number kind of thing, right? There are no wilds. And it's fun sometimes to try and figure out what, <clears throat> why people would do what they're doing before. That, you know, why they post, why they put the one that they just had um, before it. So, um, Excuse me, I'm trying to do three things at once, and it's really messing me up. So, uh, so here we go. I am. Let me see how many comments are actually showing here. There's only two, so I'm going to hit the previous comments button here. I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it's over a week's worth of gifs uh, to get into, and um, 
but I said I may do this. So we will we will start we'll start here. We'll we'll try to do what's been done today at the time of this recording. Um if I can get my <laughs> there's so many. They just aren't loading. It's hilarious. Um it it is fun to see what these people are doing, to see what everyone's doing, how everything's kinda locking up on me now. This is um Okay. Sorry, everyone. This is a terrible way to end the show, I know. All right, so we begin here with, let's say, all right, we'll begin with Christopher Lutz's post of the GIF of the Flash running, which Jennifer Roy Barrows post, <laughs> Forrest Gump running out <laughs> his driveway down the road, which Blakely Cabano uh, posts Forrest on the boat waving, which prompts Dave Mitchell to post uh, Bobby from... Uh, king of the hill kind of doing the wave with the with his little arms you know uh back and forth which post another which prompts another king of the hill post with bobby dancing kind of shirtless with a propane tank on his head and there's some balloons in the background like it's a party so that means jeff serling uh post a picture of it appears to be a clown waving at a bus driving by holding balloons so there's your balloons connection then cam hopman posts the house from up being lifted on balloons which pot which uh Causes Jeff Serling to post Doug from Up, you know, so there's an Up then as if to keep the Pixar theme going. Christopher Lutz posts the, oh, what's the big bug, the big caterpillar's name in uh, A Bug's Life. Post him being held up by the stick bug uh, and looks like he's just kind of given up in the desert. And so because of the desert heat, Blakely comes back with a gif of Donald Duck sweating to death in the desert, which post, which causes Tom Gillen to post a very uncomfortable gif of daffy duck uh strolling on the screen uh acting as though he is uh removing his feathers doing a strip tease with his feathers which causes pedro to post a gif of bart simpson coming in in high heels which causes jennifer roy barrows to post a, a gif of mrs doubtfire dancing with a broom playing air guitar on the broom which uh causes angie now to post a gif of tom cruise Coming into the sliding into the living room in his underwear, which causes Dean Cooper to post a video, a gif of um, Ray Bans, uh, which is what Tom Cruise was wearing, which causes Billy Martin then to post Homer in Ray Bans doing the Tom Cruise thing uh, on The Simpsons, which causes Jennifer to post Anthony Michael Hall putting on Ray Bans in uh, the movie The Breakfast Club. So sunglasses is the theme right now. Christopher Lutz has the Blues Brothers eating in a fancy restaurant wearing sunglasses. Then Dan Aykroyd is a conehead shoving his mouth full of food. Then Jane from Weekend Update because she's also a conehead. Then Jennifer Roy Barrows posts, and now a Muppet News Flash, which Billy Martin posts then. Uh, it's the British way. It is the American way. Or he's, it's Sam the Eagle saying it's the American way and Gonzo whispering something in his ear. It's the British way. Which is this is from uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, but the fact that he says it's American Way, Sam the American Eagle, leads us to a bill on Capitol Hill, which leads us to a kill bill, which leads us to some dude with a sword saying it will kill, which leads us and there's there's a knight armor in the back, which leads us to the mountain I think from Game of Thrones, which leads us to Tyrion Lannister out on a boat on the river seeing a dragon fly overhead. 
which leads us to just a scene of a river from Christopher Lutz, which David Wyhe then posts a bear standing in a river trying to catch a fa- fish and getting smacked in the face by a salmon, which leads Blakely Cabano to uh, posting a gif of an animated bear lifting a top hat to you, which then gets to Billy Martin with a baby polar bear rolling on a table. Angie Grant, then a baby polar bear coming right at the camera. And then uh, <laughs> early from Lost by Travis Fishburne saying, Freaking polar bears, which comes to uh, Hurley and Law saying, you got some R's on you? You got some R's on you? Oh, from when the guy blew up. Um, and then Dean Cooper then posts Cousin It smoking? Maybe it's Hurley's hair. Hurley's hair to Cousin It's hair. I got it. I found it. Which leads Rodney Johnson, our good friend Bald Rod, to post a picture of i don't know if it's ren or stimpy with a mop top combing it the mop top then leads us to the three stooges thanks to moe's mop top which leads us to more three stooges from billy martin which leads us to uh well in this three stooges jeff moe is hitting larry with a pie bald-headed rod then posts a bald man saying i need some pie which then leads us to tom and jerry where tom is hitting the dog in the face with a pie which leads peter jorba or pedro jorba to just post pie um on a computer screen which leads christopher rutz to give us the blue screen of death in a gif form which leads dean cooper to lead us to the (laughs) the old modem connecting which leads mark all to the old aol connecting oh my gosh this is so long i thought we only had two which leads christopher lutz to leave us the spinning wheel which puts mark all puts the dude running around in a clock as a spinning wheel which Dean Cooper comes back. All that's there is green. Oh, I can't. It's not loading that GIF for me. Which leads Pedro Jorba to... Um, maybe that's the point. Maybe it's just a green screen of death. Which leads Pedro Jorba to uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You make me sad. Which leads to <laughs> the trash-talking Frenchman on top of the castle. Which leads Christopher Lutz to post from Joust, which leads to uh, a gif from the game Joust, is what I'm saying, which leads to Space Invaders from Shannon Eno, which Amy Grant, or Amy Grant, Angie Grant, then posts Tony Stark saying, that man is playing Galaga, which leads to Christopher Lutz showing us a screenshot or a screen gif of Pac-Man, which leads to a 7-Up commercial that has Pac-Man in it, which then, because of the soda, goes to a Mountain Dew, then to Dr. Pepper, Jeff. Then a Tab, Jeff. Anyone remember Tab? Then, uh, which I guess because of the, there was a Tab reference in Back to the Future, 1.21 gigawatts to some woman combing her armpit hair, which I do not... Uh, that's the kind of craziness here. I, I have... I loaded too many. I, I thought there was only two or three showing, but in the past, while we've been doing this, people have been playing Jif Uno on the Dern Facebook page at Guardians of the Goliverse. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. You want to get in on this. It's probably going to go on forever. Uh, you've got about a week's worth of stuff to get to if you want to... Uh, really see it so i've come down and somehow we got from all that to molder winking to an anna to i want to believe poster 
to the little boy opening the door in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which who was in that, but Richard Dreyfus. So we've got a Jaws gif of him, which leads us to Batman beating off a shark as he's uh, beating a shark off his leg, rather, I should say. Oh, Lord. Uh, as he's hanging on a ladder, which leads us to Heath Ledger as the Joker blowing up a hospital. And that's where it ends, as of one minute ago. I feel like you guys tried to get in there and make me do stuff as we were doing this because I started this way long before. <laughs> Dave out of Harry in the chat says, he sounds like Jim Carrey and Liar Liar. I'm getting what I deserve. I'm reaping what I sow. <laughs> All right. I'm going to perfect that segment as we go along in the future. But I do, I do enjoy just going through the gifs that people post and seeing... Uh, what they do. It, it's, a, it's a fun time. So I want to thank everyone who has joined us in the live chat at Mixler.com slash Goldiverse. We go live quite often in the, Mitch, in the Mixler chat. And uh, we, we do everything live because you have provided the funds for us to do so thanks to your support at Patreon.com. It's not free to do live at Mixler the length we do at Mixler. It's not free to uh, have the recording software that I use to make sure that I'm... Um, uh, you know, recording at the best standards I can. Um, so your support at patreon.com and using all those links really helped me out. We lost a lot of revenue because we lost those links when we when everything went down uh, in December and we didn't get a lot of it back in January. So if you're doing Amazon shopping, if you're doing a Think Geek shopping, Entertainment Earth shopping, if you want to check out Fiverr for some of your uh, needs that you might have some needs with audio or or art or that sort of thing. There's all kinds of software stuff and different things that people do. They make videos for you. It starts at $5 and works its way up. Check it out. Fiverr.com is a great place. Crafty people. Fabric.com is having a sale right now. There's a link, um, a sale on select merchandise. There's a link at geekoutonline.com for fabric.com. If you're into crafty stuff, people have told me there's got some good deals there. So use that link to do your shopping there if you want to. There are going to be other affiliates coming on board as we move along. And uh, we're going to try not to do too many ads and stuff in the shows, but just point you to links that we'll have um, on the page. And if you can help out by shopping those places, if anything looks like something you'd want to be a part of, use those links to get there, particularly those Amazon links. We all shop at Amazon. Thanks so much for joining us. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. The Twitter is at geekoutloud. You can follow the whole Goliverse at Goliverse. Thanks again to, for making the marathon a success when it had no business being a success based on how down we were. Looking forward to the comeback marathon next year and uh, as we make good on what wasn't made good this year. Sorry for the long episode. I hope it didn't get too boring. I really enjoyed just kind of reminiscing about some of these movies and, and just examining especially the recent history. By the recent history, I mean the last 20 years of what superhero movies have become and done. And, uh, and I hope that what we can really take away is none of our lives ended because there was a bad superhero movie. We were just disappointed we moved on. So let's keep that in mind as we move forward. Stay positive, stay happy, stay geeky, my friends. This is Steve Gloss, and we'll see you on the next Geek Out Loud. Mm-hmm.